Welcome to New Southern Heretics. Today's show is brought to you by the letter Bad Motherfucker. And uh, sitting across from me is a bad motherfucker. Uh, Trojan P.I., private investigator. What's up, dude? Not much, man. I totally thought we was going to talk about my wildly unpopular um, Etsy store for crocheting um, anal beads, but I guess we'll talk about private eye stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we get... I wonder how, like, how somebody, like, gets into the anal bead market, though. Like, we, get, we, we got time. We could talk about PI stuff. Well, I mean, it all kind of started on a whim, you know? I just... <laughs> Regular anal beads just weren't doing it for me, but you know, so I got into crocheting and I was really good at it. So I was just like, I know I can crochet a ball that I can shove up my ass. And that's, you know, <laughs> just kind of where it all just, you know, spiraled out from there. Now, the um, this may be the top question. I'm not sure, but when it comes to cleaning them, would you have to go to a dry cleaner? Because I imagine you wouldn't like, you can't like machine wash them, right? You can, but they shrink. Mm. Um, that was actually part of my whole like um, business plan is that I knew that they would do that so that would mean that people would have to be repeat customers and would have to repetitively buy these from me um, but like I said my Etsy store is wildly unpopular so <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, these, these are these are tough times it you is know tough I mean? times it is so how, how did you become like a like a, a private investigator because whenever I knew you you were a you were a butcher I mean well, yeah, I was I was a butcher for several years, and um, and I worked in basically the restaurant industry for a, a fairly extended uh, period of time. And um, I had a buddy that I went to high school with, who basically wrote me into it. I'd I'd went and I'd lived down in Florida on a beautiful remote tropical island for a few years, and when I came back, I was you know I was you know had just turned thirty years old, and I was just came back to Valdosta, and I just did not know exactly where I wanted to go and I didn't have a whole lot of direction outside of you know doing more management and, and the restaurant industry and stuff like that and um, he talked me into it and believe it or not when somebody tells you asks you do you want to become a private investigator my initial and very strong um, mental thought process was like no do not why would you you're not a private eye why would you do this um, but for whatever reason, I said yes. He's, you know, he's like, I'll take care of all your training, your licensing, and stuff like that. And um, a lot of it, you know, threw me into it, and it was just, you know, trial by fire. And it was so much more than what I thought it was. It certainly wasn't like, you know, Magnum PI on TV or anything like that. But not that it didn't lack the excitement that you know occasionally occurs with it but right turns out it's a lot of sitting in your car and peeing in bottles um <laughs> like my car right now i guarantee you there's at least six bottles of urine in there well if you ever get to like bear grills level of like panic survival then uh, i mean you you you're prepared because i mean can't you you can drink your own pee you can, and I have, um, mostly by accident. Uh, you really shouldn't. There's certain, um, I believe it's the vitamin water energy that has a very pale yellow color to it. That you, it's hard to tell the difference whenever you're in your car at night. Um, so I've kind of had to steer away from from that flavor. Uh, <laughs> you have enough, you have enough of those mishaps, and you, you just you just kind of just decide you don't want to drink that anymore. So. 
<laughs> but you know, it, it's it's it's. What's what would you say is like the biggest misconception um, about your occupation? The amount of boredom that is, that's actually entwined into it, because uh, it's usually a good solid eighty percent boredom and just sitting in a car and watching and then you know like a, another 10% of mild excitement and then another 10% of um, I'm probably going to die today this this is it <laughs> I'm sorry God for all the sins I've committed um, this, this isn't worth the money I can't believe that this is why I'm going to die today but yeah, pretty much so that. It, there's just like, there's a lot that goes into it that people, you know, don't see. Because anytime you see like a private eye on television, like it, you always see like the highlight reel of all the excitement that, you know, is taking place around you. Right. And they don't show you like how much effort it takes to get to that, you know, like sitting outside somebody's house, you know, hiding in a bush in a ghillie suit, you know, for, <laughs> for 10 hours, you know, waiting on them just to walk out the door. You know, and and <coughs> you'd be surprised how boring people actually are. You know, some people are very interesting, but I would imagine that it's a very um at first maddening, but once you get uh, I guess conditioned to it psychologically, very meditative like trance state because you would have to be still in a ghillie suit, right? Oh yeah, you have to be extraordinarily. Um, well, it kind of depends on what what your setup is because we use all kinds of a range of different video um, equipment and things like that and like we have things that have monster zooms on them and so I can be you know like somebody let's say they live in a in a house you know bordered by a field you know I can be anywhere from a half a mile away from their house and you know watching their front door in 4k you know and it's, it's easy it's easy to see everything that's going on on that property and the camouflage um, is just more or less there to, you know, let me blend in so nobody sees a guy standing there in a white t-shirt, you know, at the edge of the woods. But um, what about uh, animals? Like, I imagine, like, maybe not dogs because of the scent, but I imagine that, like, most, like, domestic animals wouldn't recognize you as well. Well, I've had dogs key in on me, um, but... I've also had wildlife. I've had deer, like bucks, get really close to me, and that's actually a fairly, you know, scary scenario because, like, they're fairly stealthy creatures, you know, themselves, and you don't hear them coming. And I've had, you know, like one come up on me, and depending on what time of the year it is, that could be a, a fairly dangerous encounter. Um, but one of my tricks is, is since I just, you know, not to, you know, go back to, you know, piss and urine, but this is where we're going with this is that when I'm in the woods like that, you know, I'll tend to, like, pee around myself so that I, like, pronounce my human presence to all the mm. animals that are, you know, in my vicinity. Um, Smart thinking. Yeah, so hopefully that, you know, keeps them away from me. Cause are you worried that, though, that scent might attract a, a Sasquatch if it is in rut? Um, I do worry about that, but... Um, I'm also open to new experiences, so, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. That's good logic. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, it gets boring out there, man, you know, so, I mean, I've made friends with turtles, you know, like, you'd be surprised. If you sit in the woods long enough, 
you know, I guess any hunter would probably tell you this. If you sit in the woods long enough, you know, you'll see things, but I don't get the luxury of sitting in a tree stand. You know, sometimes it's just me laying like on my stomach for hours on end, like just right on the dirt, which, you know, draws every single flea and tick that, you know, you can find. And um, nothing will wake you up quite like finding a tick on your privates. That's um, that's a sobering experience. No doubt. Because <laughs> you, you got to figure out a way to get that thing off. And um, the first time it happened to me, I thought I was going to have a coronary right there on the, on the spot. I actually called the other investigator that I was working with, and I was like, <coughs> I need you to come get me. I need you to come get me right now. He's like, um, did, did somebody find you, or did, did you get burned out there? Is something, what's wrong? I was like, no, nah, man, I've got a tick on the head of my penis, and I, um, we've got to do something. we got to do something now. He's like, man, you're just going to have to wait. I was like, I'm going to get Lyme disease. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's like, oh, man, you're tougher than that. And, um, you don't have a tick on your dick. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. <laughs> turns, it turns out that um, we've all got our, our breaking point, and at that moment in time, that was it. Of course, it's happened you know, since then, and I was a lot better. And Luckily, I can say I don't think I have Lyme disease. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> but, you know, it's just one of those things. Have you have you ever been caught before? Oh, several times. Um, private investigations is is a is a pretty much so a delicate um, tightrope walk between being too aggressive and you know not too passive. Yeah, too passive. Um, and sometimes there's just things that happen that you know that's just beyond you that you can't because there's. Like especially like when you have like domestic cases with spouses and things of that nature, um, the spouse has hired you know you as a private investigator, and sometimes they you know get a little enraptured at the fact that you know they've got somebody you know watching their spouse or their ex-spouse or you know what have you, and you know they'll tell a friend or something like that, you know, thinking that they have their trust, and then that friend turns out they actually like the other party a lot more than they did our client and you know information leaks out and that person's on the on the get-go and sometimes you just have people who have amazing situational awareness um and those will actually sometimes be people that you just would never think would have that kind of situational awareness they have no military or police background anything like that but they just notice everything uh, and that's just how they're put together and they catch on pretty quick you know when there's a car following them or you know stuff like that and then some people like you know with workers comp um you know people who've been injured on the job and they're in the middle of a you know huge lawsuit you know they've been you know coached by their attorneys and the attorney has basically told them you know hey there's a good chance that the opposing counsel is going to hire you know a private investigator to follow you around and you know see if you're you know actually injured so you know do your best to not um or just watch your back in in general so you have stuff that happens like that i mean i'd have to say that it's literally like 10 percent of the time that i do get caught and um to me that's actually a pretty good number because just the the volume of people that i watch on any given year you know which is in the hundreds right you know it's that works for me because I'm, I like to think of myself as a fairly ag- aggressive investigator who, like, you know, will get out there and like get all up in your shit and you know find out. 
And like I said, a lot of these times, these places I go aren't even in the local area. You know, I travel all over the state of Georgia. And so I go to places I've never been before and circumstances I've never been in and, you know, still manage to, you know, pull out a win. So <laughs> I right. <laughs> I know I've been uh, with you on a couple of runs and like the first time we went, I mean, they're all thrill for me, just because, like, <laughs> like, it's just, like, a, uh, you know, it's it's not uh, normal for me, so it's, mm, it gives that aspect yeah. of, oh, an adventure, right? Um, plus, I mean, I'm just, like, hanging out with, you know, my pal and getting out yeah, of the yeah, house. Yeah. But um, the first one was just, like, a, a GPS swap, I remember, but then, like, a, like a, uh, the next, I think, two were, like, like we went to places. It's like, okay, we're going to go here mm-hmm. and just... Yeah, GPS placements are actually one of the more um, dangerous things we do because we do those, um, or we have a tendency to do those on you know public property and stuff like that. But you still have to like get underneath that person's property, you know, place that unit on there, and you still have to you know be able to put it in a place where it won't be found, and also where you can you know remember to actually find it and pull it back off. And you know sometimes you have extremely short you know windows and time in which to you know pull that off and but the technology of gps tracking you know makes it to where it's just you're able to build up you know like a, a database of patterns on that person and what they do and where they go and like you know how often they stay at point a point b point c and then you can you know take and look at all these different places and find out you know who lives here who does that and like that's part of you know what builds you know our, our case and our understanding of who this person is where they go and what they're about and you know a good 80 to 90 percent of their activity you can just write off and say well all right this is just them doing you know their everyday normal things like any other human being but then you have these other things where you're just like well what is this what is what is it that they're doing here and then you know we'll slide the focus of our investigation, you know, to those points and places and, you know, try to dig in deeper to, you know, what's going on here. And if that's where we need to set up um, a more in-depth type of surveillance, you know, scenario where we end up in the ghillie suit or if we can do it from the car or, you know, any of these, you know, different scenarios, but it's all geared towards, you know, getting definitive answers and being able to give those back to our clients so that, you know, have yeah. something tangible yeah to show tangible them. yeah and you know some of these cases that we get it's hard to get to that point because people like especially like on um like when you have like domestic cases where you have child custody divorces sometimes you're limited by what their financial means are um right. because we've had cases where you know people like the guy knows his wife is cheating he just knows it and he's just like all right well I can afford eight hours of surveillance and we're like okay um, well we'll go out and see what we can find out and those four hours of, those eight hours of surveillance don't necessarily always occur on the same day you know that might be over like two or three days or whatever or just whenever he's like you know he's like I'm out of town you know she has the ability to do what she wants so I want to find out what she's doing right now um, and then you know we'll go and we'll work that but you know nothing happens and so he's like, okay, well, I didn't get the answers that I wanted. It's like, well, sometimes these things go like this. Like I said, we've had clients who have literally spent thousands of dollars. I mean, like 
immense amounts of money, you know, trying to catch their wife cheating. And they know their wife's cheating and they're, they're fairly confident in it. And they're just trying to get this information, you know, for legal purposes or whatever. And, you know, we put all this time and effort in it and then there's nothing to show for it. And it's not because the woman's not cheating. It's more or less because, you know, she's a 65-year-old woman. Um, she doesn't have the sex drive of a 20-year-old woman or even, you know, like the sex drive of a 35-year-old woman. So, like, she does occasionally have these trysts with other men, but they're so random and, and sporadic that there's it's hard to really, like, narrow it down to where you could have us there at the exact time that it's going to happen. So, I mean... It's like if you have the money to invest in it to where you can actually delve that deep into it, then that's great. But for some people, like, if it's not, like, something that you feel is occurring on a fairly, you know, frequent basis, then maybe this isn't, you know, the route that you want to take. Right. So, but nowadays technology is at a point where, you know, GPS systems are extraordinarily cheap for live tracking. You can go online, get a GPS Put it on your spouse's car, you know, and see everywhere that they are and where they go. So if you're like a, you know, some kind of a freaky control freak, you know, <laughs> there's there's technology out there, and then many cameras, you know, abound. So there's all these different things that people can do, you know, where they almost don't even need us. But with that said, if there's any kind of legal avenue that they're trying to pursue with it, it doesn't matter because any attorney worth of salt would get all that stuff thrown out and you're liable to get a restraining order for, you know... For the GPS tracking? Well, just for, you know, infringing on your um, spouse's, you know, privacy. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But we... Which, which there, there's some validity to that. Oh, there's a lot of validity to that, but we're considered, like, a neutral third-party observer. Right. And as licensed investigators, like, we're given, you know, leniency and, you know... Because technically y'all are... A servant of the court, depending on the circumstances, correct? Like so, if so, if it's like a civil court case, and they need to have some sort of documentation to uh, uh, what's it what's it called in the uh, court part? discovery, right? To uh, to like uh, share like well, all this. Uh, uh, I'm I'm no, I'm I'm no lawyer, yeah. sir. But well, well, we wouldn't say we're, we're not we're not agents <laughs> we're not agents of the court. Um, I, I would never say it that way. Well, if you're um, serving a subpoena or something, though, well, that that, that that's that would well, that exist on, on a completely like separate level from like private investigations, right? Um, right? Right? I, I get that because like private investigators, it's a very multifaceted industry. You yeah, know? yeah. Because it's not just you know spying on a spouse or serving a subpoena. There's a lot of like nuance to it. Yeah, but you could serve a subpoena and and not be a private investigator. Correct. So, but you you would still uh, point being a servant of the court if you're a private investigator or not. If you're serving a subpoena. Isn't that still the will of the court? Um, yeah, if I'm, if I'm, if, yeah, if, if there's a legal document that's within my hand and I've been, um, and the courts, you know, signed off on allowing me to serve that paper, then I am basically an agent of the court that's gone out and I'm, I'm serving that paper. And um, like, if I needed law enforcement's help, like they would come and help me to make sure that it, it happened, which that's rarely occurred, but. Um, it does happen on occasion. We've had a couple of those. Um, but for the most part, as far as being a private investigator, um, depending on the judge, some of us, some of them don't even really care for us in general, I don't think. But, 
and some attorneys definitely don't. It just depends on if you're uh, which which attorney it is, and if you're working for them or against their client. You know, so. Well, it's kind of like a. <laughs> I, it has ties, I guess, to like things like. Uh, 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 cont- uh, contrarians and skeptics and things of this nature because you're uh, you're almost a competitor of justice in that circumstance right so if like you if you all are able to provide data that can get a uh, say somebody uh, a, a defendant like the underdog or whatever mm-hmm. get them so they uh, they win the court case or whatnot I think that uh well, that is it's beneficial. It's, irks, it's irksome to people that are trying to. Well, it's beneficial to our client. Um, now, it kind of depends on what section of what um, of what I do that you're talking about. Like, so let's say workers' comp. Um, I'm obviously I'm, I'm I'm hired by by an attorney or a business, and they're trying to you know they're looking out for their best interest. Um, but you know, I go out and I start my day, and I watch the person and what they do is really completely up to them. Like I'm a neutral third party observer. If they decide they want to pick up a car battery, you know, with a severe back injury and do jumping jacks with it, you know, I just happened to be there watching them. I was paid to, to watch them and that's what they did. Um, now if I was to go and like sprinkle, you know, like $5 bills outside their car door and then, wait for them to come out and watch them bend over and pick it up now of course they still did choose to do that but i would definitely be doing things to to help my client out by putting them in a situation to where they were just i've got to bend over and pick up these five dollar bills i mean if i saw five dollar bills outside of my property i I'd be picking them up. But at the same time, when you tell, when you're telling, you know, your doctors and your attorneys, you know, I can't even bend over to do this or anything like right. that. So I need a million dollars. You know, like people start getting real serious about, you know, wanting answers. And of course, now what I said about with the five dollar bills, that would be considered, you know, highly unethical. And I am just an extraordinarily ethical um, private investigator who is just beyond reproach. But I mean. There's, there probably is people in, in my industry who does some some shady things like that. Um, but, I mean, you just never know where you're going to find a $5 bill, so it's just hard to say. Right. <laughs> I wonder with, like, because, um, I mean, I mean, pretty much you you guys can, uh, you're a, you're a de- you can occupy the role of a detective outside of law enforcement as well. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. so, if... Um, if, if someone has been a victim of uh, the court system and they need a detective like like private investigators offer that so yeah we've had people who you know like they didn't feel like things were investigated well enough through the system um, and they've come to us and usually though I have to say for the most part a lot of like detectives you know, like in the police force, they they usually do a fairly thorough job, and we are actually kind of hesitant with some of these with criminal investigations because a um, you're upsetting an apple cart that you know that doesn't it doesn't it doesn't really help us in any way, but there's all the potential to hurt us, right? Um, because we we. 
we don't work with the police, but you know, we we let them know when we're around, and you know what, you know, kind of not exactly what we're doing, but you know, like, hey, I'm here, and we've heard you know countless stories. It's never happened to us. We we we've, we've always had a fairly you know decent um, relationship, especially with local law enforcement, to where there's never been you know any issues, but. I've heard stories of other places where, you know, they've burnt some bridges with law enforcement and like, you know, they'll just, you know, take and park their car, you know, right behind you every time you go on surveillance because they just, oh, they're like, oh, oh, yeah, you guys want to mess with us. All right. So you don't think we know how to do our job. Um, Good luck being clandestine with a fucking cop car. Well, I mean, it's, it's the South, you know, and like it's the it's the whole the whole good old boy system, mm. you know, that's prevalent. We, we can definitely uh, uh, unpack yeah. the, that uh, ideology. Uh, I mean, on. but it exists, and I mean, there, I mean, sometimes it, it's it's beneficial, you know, for for folks, and other times it's not. Like um, like most things, nuanced. Yeah, it's always everything's always nuanced, but I mean, on today's world, sir. Yeah, but you know me, like. Um, I'm a huge skeptic about everything, and if there's if there's one thing working as a a private investigator has taught me is to not let you have these storylines that you you tell yourself as you as you go through a case where you, you just like you know you just see the whole scenario in your head and you're just like okay all right I've got this woman all figured out. She's a meth addict, and this is what she's doing. This is everything that she's going to do is based off of you know this, these you know two or three pieces of evidence that I have against her. And so I have this whole story built up in my head, and I've learned that sometimes that'll take you down the wrong path because you're you'll be so certain that you know that's the way that you know things are, and that's the way that you should pursue, and then it turns out that that's not even the case, like. You were completely wrong, but you allowed yourself to become so certain of your ability to decipher information that you end up looking like an idiot on the other side of it. So I've got to where like I don't, well, I don't build up these narratives in my head, you know. Especially with a with a meth head, because those motherfuckers are unpredictable. Yeah, well, most people, you know, <laughs> truthful truth be told, people are are a lot more erratic than you would think. Um, I, I, you're appreciating the choir on that one. We live in 2020. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I love hunting people. Like, I don't. Even, <laughs> well, you know, like when I was younger, you know, I, I hunted deer and stuff like that. That's, that we'll have that in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I love hunting people. <laughs> well, you know, but you know, like when I was younger, you know, you like you hunt deer and like, you know, deer for the most part, you you know what they're going to do. Like it doesn't it doesn't really take a rocket scientist, you know if you've grown up in the South to kind of, you know, figure out what to do, you know, to catch a deer, you either sit in one place in the woods till they come along, you, you put out some food, it'll go to it. You sit up on a deer trail, something that'll pass through it. You know, you make, get you, get you a call, something will come to it. But like people, like there's just no telling what the fuck they woke up thinking they were going to do that day. You know, <laughs> dude, dude, I remember uh, there's one you took me on where we went to, a, we went to a bar and we were, uh, I, I didn't know what we were doing. You were just like, like we're just going to go here, like go in, like have a drink. I'm like, all right, yeah, that's fine, whatever. And then the client showed up. like at Yeah, the- and they were standing right behind <laughs> us. Yeah, I remember that. I was so mad. <laughs> I was like, how stupid. Yeah, those people, those, people, those people were crazy. I think they're still together. 
It's like, but you have people like that. That's like with the domestic cases, man. Oh, like that's, we, that's that. I imagine that like, like twenty years from now, if like that's the kind of like relationship that I'm in at the autumn in my life, what a hellish relationship to be in. Fuck that shit, dude. I don't. Some people, like, I actually think like they get their rocks off on that. Oh, uh, no doubt. Yeah, the melodrama like, of it. Yeah, all? the the, Fuck yeah, the dude. pain's a drug to them. You know, like yeah. Well, that, then, that the, person, then the only drug that they uh, do consume, alcohol, yeah. and they, they typically abuse that, you know, but... It gives you a lot of insight into the psychology of, um, I guess, relationships in general. Like, you see some people that just, like, they just... It doesn't matter what the other person, how they make them feel, as long as it makes them feel something extreme. You know, and right. that that that's something. You know, they, they there's these you know huge currents of emotion flowing through them at all times, and if everything's calm and peaceful, they're they're not going to be happy in their relationship. But I think that's I mean that's just a personality type. You know, for the most part, like these are just people that are just it's wild like a, people. It's a uh, I, th- I think it's a like a a genetic program, right? That mm-hmm. we tap into. It's kind it's kind of you know from our ancestors, you yeah. know, but. I think something like that, if that ex, that extreme, that rush that they get, the adrenaline, it has significance to them, uh, to their lives. Well, that's uh, why that's why some of these people cheat on their spouse in the first place. You know, like they've they've been married for you know such and such many years. They've had children, and I mean, we can all easily go back and remember, you know, like the first time you ever hooked up with somebody you didn't know. You know, like there's there's a rush of excitement that you know comes along with that. And so some of these people, which is why they fight so hard to keep it a secret from their spouse, you know, like they have no, they have no desire to leave their spouse. Like as far as they're concerned, you know, what you hear over and over again is I loved you. I just, you know, da, 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 just, you know, wasn't happy. I just, I needed something extra in my life. I have needs. Yeah, they have, they have (laughs) needs and, you know, well, you know, they've had sex. They, you know, these people have been having sex for the last, you know, 20 years and like, they just, you know, wanted that rush of excitement, and which I mean, I, I I get that. Like, hey, you wanted to to feel something. I mean, fuck, go bungee jumping, you know? Dude, there was this um, there was this one uh, woman that uh, this was like, uh, I guess probably around Thanksgiving of last year or so. That you know, I'm I'm a bachelor, uh, so uh, I uh, I use uh, 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 dating apps, and I had. Um, like match with her, like she, like her uh, profile, just certain things I look for. Like she stood out as an individual, and uh, she had uh, she had uh, tattoos that weren't uh, shitty. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and uh, uh, she had good uh, rhetoric. I like that. Whenever, uh, whenever, like I can read somebody as communicative, and especially in rhetoric, because I mean it's a dating app. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like you're you're just using them visual aesthetics and visual data mm-hmm. to process it so she uh you know uh you know we, we meet her whatnot we're hanging out and she tells me that she she has four kids that she and her husband got married when she was like 17 and he was like 19 it was legal for him to do so mm-hmm. that that was the only man she'd ever been with and that he had something wrong with him that he he wanted he became I guess so OCD that a routine like a daily routine 
other than like raising their kids and like their kids finding their own way but between he and his wife every day had to be exactly the same every year the vacation had to be exactly mm. the same they had to have like everything set in order mm. uh, she had to uh, keep her body in a certain condition like a super controlling spouse you yeah. know what I mean yeah OCD oh yeah like yeah. to the extreme and over like 20 years right like she she had dealt with this um and she said that she uh, gave her kids to her mom and said, I'll be back in 30 days and made sure that they were all taken care of. Didn't tell, tell them where uh, she was going. She was in Ohio. She traveled down to Tallahassee for an ayahuasca mm-hmm. experience because she had met somebody online that was a shaman and they had contact for about two years of going back and forth. And this was her like... Uh, uh, you know, her a moment of like self-discovery, I guess, yeah. was this big psychedelic experience, and I was on her way there, and uh, she told me that I reminded her nothing of her spouse because I'm eccentric, overweight, yeah. uh, a little, little crazy, <laughs> but not bad crazy, uh, and uh, intelligent, and she said that uh, that was so attractive to her, and I was like. Thank you, universe. And see, there's, there's like, nothing, there's like nothing the, wrong with that. Well, though. no, not because of my benefit, yeah. but because of like... Even for th- her. That, exactly. That Like this moment is like what woke her up, mm. right? So a lot of people, myself, the internet is normally what did it like for me. Is like we didn't have to go to institutions anymore to acquire knowledge. Mm-hmm. And like, like you and I being like the fucking idiot geniuses that we are have like always been able to bond over like bigger concepts Mm -hmm. and not like about like who's it Eleanor Roosevelt said that like ideas were the uh, apex of conversation yeah simple people talk about uh, people um, average people talk about things events events that was the second one yeah and then like truly gifted people talk about ideas which I mean that's that's awfully uh, that's considering that we talk about ideas that's very self-gratifying for us to say that about ourselves <laughs> but i mean i think me and you have long since abandoned any pretenses about our ego so <laughs> yeah i mean like i'm I, well, you know i've i try to be a good person i've done bad things and you know but like i'm still here yeah, yeah. You know oh, yeah. I, mean? I mean that's people i've wronged like they know i've wronged because yeah. like, I've, I've had to go to them and you know uh, with an eat crow yeah, I guess is the expression or whatnot. So I mean, all, all I can do now with my time is like, like, well, let me, let me try to escape the matrix, yeah. right? So like, I can elevate my consciousness and my uh, magnetic ethereal body <laughs> to a higher frequency and like get get out of the program yeah. and ascend and see what's the the next set of programs are like. I I think that the idea of uh, intelligent design and the simulation theory. Mm-hmm. Like, are, are, are they, they can coexist completely. And I think if more people that are more fringe believers into theism or atheism would sort of just dip your toes in the other one's water 
for a second, and I think that these two unifying ideas can. Well, I mean, yeah, they both. There's both. There's grains of truth in both of them. You yeah. Know what I mean, so. But I think those two are so much more likely than like, oh no, this is all just happenstance. Everything. This is just mm-hmm. billions of years of just whoopsie daisy. Yeah. Now we're here. Purpose is just something that you lie to tell your ego about yourself. There is no purpose. We're all going to die one day, and you've done nothing worth a damn so far. So maybe you should try to wake other people up to how fruitless life is and tell them the same thing. Like that's a miserable fucking existence. It is. Nihilism is is fairly miserable, but at the same time, in which I'm not a nihilist, but there's I always have to for all the other you know thoughts and ideas that I entertain I've, I've always found it safer or, or, or even somewhat comforting to think that my existence is ultimately pointless like I know that whenever I find myself on the deathbed that I, I probably won't be so inclined to think that I'm just fading into oblivion and nothingness but at the same time, I have to entertain that that's a, a realistic possibility. Yeah, what, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Pasquale's Dilemma? Mm-hmm. Is, I think that's one where it's like, uh, live your life as if God does exist. Oh, no, I like and, to live my life as if God doesn't exist. And like I've said before, I'm pr- fairly certain when I die, I won't be surprised either way. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. I think, um, I think, I think the idea of life being one giant uh, if-then-else statement, mm-hmm. right? That makes a lot more sense to me. And, like, this notion of... Um, there used to be four, now they argue five, of the uh, uh, personality types, right? Mm-hmm. So you take an emoji, and you, its mouth is either up or down, and its brows are either inward or outward, mm-hmm. right? And then the fifth one they now have is neutral. Like, but those are, like the uh, archetypes of uh, personality traits well, well it's just like uh, Dungeons and Dragons like I've always liked to think of myself as chaotic neutral <laughs> especially as far as like my as you know thought goes I've never played D&D my, bro- my brother and I we didn't have too many uh, too many friends growing up mm-hmm. uh, so uh, uh, D&D you need more than two people yeah. to play well yeah, you but really we, do, but... <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, it's as dorky as it is, it's a bucket list thing. <laughs> it's like, like, I want to play some, like, epic D&D and, like, like more than one round of it because, like, I, like I, I need to pop my cherry first. I'm, like, I don't, I, you know what I mean? Well, you got to get the right dungeon master. <laughs> I, I think our friend Justin would be a, yeah. would be a good one. He, uh... <laughs> He he would always uh, uh, recommend uh, other friends of his. He's like, he's like, I'll tell you who the best dungeon master is right now. <laughs> oh, I got a buddy of mine. Um, we played Steve. Hero Quest. Which yeah. is what I was gonna say it was it was a, a Milton Bradley uh, tabletop uh, yeah. game. Uh, me and my buddy, we used to hide in a teacher's room during lunch with a bunch of other uh, uh, geeks and uh, nerds because um, we actually thought we had some kind of like um, standing within the um, hierarchy of cool kids, but. Um, Looking, In hindsight, you kind of do. No, I didn't. I definitely didn't. Dude, I, <laughs> I, I played the clarinet, and um, well, I mean to prepare you for a drama adult, kid. To prepare you for adulthood, I would say that like, like, because I mean you you're not socially inept now. Like you 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 definitely have a bit of a silver tongue when it comes to social interactions. Oh yeah, well I mean I refined that from the time I was like I came from a Pentecostal background. Um, and my dad, he did a lot of, he went out and evangelized and stuff like that. And even when I was a kid, you know, I would, you know, 
mimic him and pretend to be a preacher and get up and you know preach to everybody and all that jazz and hell on even when I was younger I would of course I can't believe I'm going to put this on audio but I would uh, dress up like a clown and go stand in front of my parents house and literally talk to anybody who was stupid enough to happen to walk past it I would stop them right on the spot and of course you know who's not going to stop and talk to a you know a seven-year-old clown <laughs> in the middle of summer in the middle of the day I mean makes all the sense in the world I, but. I think the question to ask is the do you want the people that would stop to talk to a seven-year-old clown to stop and talk to you? Well, it was a lot of old people where I lived, so um, <laughs> I loved old people. Like, if the, like elderly people when I was younger, like I was, I was always vastly fascinated by them. Like, um, there was so a woman they that survived. Yeah, there was a woman who was, um, I think she was like 97, 98 years old that lived next door to us when I was um, growing up. She's still alive. No, she died years and years ago. Um, <laughs> She actually had been a designer for it, not for, I can't remember the name of the company, but in Paris, like back in like the twenties. Holy shit. Yeah. And so like, I was just over the moon enamored with her and I just, she had the most interesting stories that she would tell me, you know, about her travels and, you know, stuff like that. And then, um, you know, she passed away and I actually thought that was the worst thing ever. But even like when my parents church, like, you know, 90% of the people there were, old people and I was like like one of the only young kids so they all you know took their time with me and you would talk to me and of course I was always inquisitive so I always wanted to to know stuff and so given the opportunity I would talk their ears off and listen a good bit too but a lot of talking on my part <laughs> so I was always a uh rather talkative child then on uh, road trips uh, they always made sure that uh, my uh, disc man had batteries mm -hmm. oh yeah we were a little bit younger than me we, uh, <laughs> we I, know, I, well, I didn't I didn't get into music until I was like fifth grade mm -hmm. or so like um, that's why I, uh, I found out who Soundgarden was I was, like, I was like what is this like this is really heavy <laughs> I mean it's not heavy by today's standards at all, but I mean, for the time, it was like 1995, mm. and like we didn't we didn't have a, the only radio stations that they had in uh, uh, Huntington, West Virginia, is almost all country, and then you had a uh, an old timey one. So I like riding a car with my grandma because she'd play like the old timey mm -hmm. one uh, from like the 40s and 50s, and uh, classic rock. Mm -hmm. So like. Like I, I liked Barracuda by heart because mm -hmm. it would always come on the radio. Yeah, uh, there was a an old folk song. I think it was the Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that one. Uh, but then like I heard Soundgarden. It was like right when CDs came out because my mom got a or I don't know right when they came out. It was right whenever we got one though. Mm -hmm. It was '95 and she got a CD player and. Like she got a Soundgarden CD, and I was—I just became enamored with it. And then I discovered that, like, like my parents told me that like MTV wasn't bad. School, Catholic school, taught me that MTV was bad, mm -hmm. and that I shouldn't watch it because all they talk about is sex and drugs on there. And my mom was like, "Like, I don't give a shit if you watch MTV." She's like, "I don't want you watching it late at night because that's when, you know, they would play like she didn't she didn't like Beavis and Butthead, and uh, then they would play like." Uh, 
like some of the more risque videos on either uh, 120 minutes or Yo MTV raps. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd have like like they'd play like LL Cool J doing it on a Yo MTV raps, and like it's not a very subtle song. So your childhood sounds magical. <laughs> As I stated earlier, I came from a Pentecostal background. My musical. It was either listening to Southern Gospels, which was, you know, basically the equivalent of wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus, wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Or, you know, like the Statler Brothers, um, which I mean, I actually love the Statler Brothers, yeah, to this day. But my mom, like, she listened to, like, what is it, Neil Sedaka, Sedaka, Um, ABBA, to this day, I haven't uncanny like love of ABBA when I hear them just because I heard it so much as a child um yeah it's so way out there right and um and then when I was growing up I wasn't allowed to listen to any kind of rock or anything like that and I only like I could every once in a while you know I'd listen to the radio but if they heard me listening to it like you know turn that devil music off and my sister she was allowed to like listen to like Janet Jackson um, you know stuff like that so I would you know steal her tapes and listen to those and it's probably one of the reasons why I ended up getting into electronica music you know so much was because there wasn't any lyrics to it there was nothing for my parents to, to rage against it was just you know extraordinarily fast tribal beats you know like the Chemical Brothers and you know things of that nature there was no sex there was no anything it was just you know it was basically the way I saw it it was just modern day classical music yeah. you know and so like that was something that I you know everyone at the time you know who were like my friends were like you listen to what <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be sitting there like trying to make them listen to it and they're just like not feeling it at all I, I always liked a wide variety of music like like, how could you not like the prodigy's fat of the land if you grew up in the 90s, man? Yeah, like, well, let me tell you something. That tape was one of the first tapes that was destroyed by my parents whenever they heard me listening to Smack My Bitch Up. Mm. Um, that one didn't go over well. It didn't go over well uh, with uh, my parents either. They, they took away a Nine Inch Nails CD. Oh, I imagine that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, they, yeah, they, they tried with the Prodigy one. I was like, I was like no. <laughs> yeah. I just got better at hiding my musical taste and stuff like that. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I got into hip-hop a lot, which, of course, actually, the first tape that I ever bought was the Fat Boys. I don't know if you remember who that is. I remember them. I never had a CD yeah, by them. Well, their tape. <laughs> Coming back hard again. And um, that was some pretty raunchy stuff on there, but you know, like that was my introduction into hip hop, which I, I know that's kind of sad. I did eventually get into Wu Tang pretty hard past I had, that. Uh, but. Coolio, Coolio was mine. Yeah. And I was really upset when I found out that not only did I have the censored version, but the uncensored version had uh, more songs and more content. Oh, uh, yeah. I remember my, um, what was it? Uh, what? They sang that song, Abraham Lincoln was a good old man, jumped out the window with his dick in his hand, said to the ladies, I'm doing my duty, so bend the hell over and give me some booty. Who was that? They were like the most raunchy rap. Two Live Crew? No, it wasn't Two Live Crew. They got arrested for their raunchiness. Yeah, I don't think it was them. I could be wrong, though, but man, God bless my neighbor and his loud stereo, because they turned me on to so much music, he has no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, whenever... You know, uh, like I was uh, younger and uh, going to the uh, the uh, the meat room at the the restaurant where I met you at. Like there would always be a rather eclectic uh, 
I got bonkers. Never mind. There would be a, a rather uh, eclectic music selection that'd be uh, playing. So sometimes I'd go in there and it would be like like uh, Wagner. Sometimes I'd go in there and it'd be uh, Aphex Twin. Sometimes it would be uh, Wu Tang Clan. Sometimes it would be uh, the local college station. Which yes. I, that's really the only uh, radio station I'll listen to in the car is oh, because you never know what they're going to play. Oh, yeah, 90.9 in the 90s was one of those things that was like one of the more pivotal, th- pivotal um, influence of music in my life. Um, you know, like punk, things like that nature. I remember the first song that I ever heard on there was Detachable Penis. <laughs> I and, remember that song. Yeah, and it was on the radio and I was just like what is this treasure and where is it coming from and and, you know it was 90.9 and at the time um, we also there was a pirate radio station that was being broadcast here I can't remember what it was called but it was a couple of people doing that and like they were playing a lot of you know non-mainstream music that you know other people you know just weren't playing and you know it's not like today where you it's so easy to get exposure you know to to different you know types of music um, especially when you live in Valdosta of all places right. so like the college was really like what opened my ears up to a lot of different you know types of music and like just thank God for 90.9 so I really enjoy it there's <laughs> some days uh, they'll have like a like select programming on there mm-hmm. like, you know I think like Thursday they call Thor's Day oh yeah so it's you know like a uh, uh, 80s and uh, late 70s uh, metal and hard rock but then uh, I remember back in the day like on Sunday it would be like all western Mexican music like it's uh, it's not uh, just mariachi but uh, oh, it, yeah, it's uh, like where uh, Oaxaca is mm-hmm. at in Mexico like near Baja California but across from the peninsula like I worked with folks in uh, New Jersey that were in a band and like, like one of them like uh, showed me like a, a concert that was that they had at their uh, at their uh, town. I forget the name of it in Jersey, but like there was like two thousand people. This is just like a Sunday. It's just like what the town did was like they just put on uh, shows mm-hmm. and uh, like at the park and like two thousand people would show up and they would just play uh, this uh, uh, Mexican music with like the accordion like taking the place of like mm-hmm. the uh, lead instrument. It was like the Accordion is a hard fucking instrument to play. I can't play it worth a shit. Yeah, but like they'll rip on it, dude. That's awesome. It's it's so hard these days though to find like truly unique sounding music that it you know even comes close to the to the mainstream of where you can discover it. I think like mindless self indulgence was like one of the last things that I heard, and of course, God knows how long that's been. That was like had like a truly like just out there unique sound and it's just they were wild whenever um, I think it was like 10th or 11th grade so it would have been 2000 or 2001 I heard uh, uh, Frankenstein girls will seem strangely sexy yeah and a couple things that intrigued me about the album is that as far as the order of the songs the track list was alphabetized and they had. Oh, I never noticed that. They they had. If I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure, I, I'd be willing to bet without a lifeline that uh, they had uh, representation for every letter in the alphabet. So there there was more than 26 songs mm-hmm. on. I think there was 32 on uh, that album because mm-hmm. most of MSI's songs are like they're pretty short. Oh yeah, you yeah. Know, it's not like 
It's not like I think they and like System of a Down are like their epics are about like four or five minutes. Like mm. if, you know, otherwise it's like really concise. But uh, my mom of all people had told me she had gone to uh, Atlanta for um, like an uh, an art show. One of her students was at, and she had tuned into like a whatever. I think it was before Clear Channel bought out Ninety Nine X. But she was telling me about this band, Mindless Self-Indulgence, and could never, like, you know, the local uh, uh, Rock 108 or I was not going to play MSI. But um, Napster happened, and then I heard this song, Bitches. And l- lyrically, not really a, not really breaking new ground. <laughs> yeah. But, but, I mean, that's fine. You know, I, like, I don't have to have that. Like, I, I just like the thought that's being put into it. Mm-hmm. But... That whole album, like, there were so many, like, fucking bangers on that song, or that album. And, like you said, it was truly, truly unique. But I I think now the, um, the really unique stuff is kind of hard to pin down now. It's, uh, which is interesting, I think, with music, is that, um, the more you try to define it, the less interesting it becomes for me yeah. personally. Well, that's the first thing everybody does to it when they hear it, you know. But yeah, they're like, "Oh, well, I hear the influence of this, or I hear the influence of that," you know. That's like, um, what's the name of that group? I'm, I know I'm horribly mispronounce her name. Die Ant 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 Antwi- The answer? Huh? No, Die Antwi- Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's it means the answer. Oh yeah, Die Antwoord. Like, I thought they were, you know, super unique, but then apparently, like, there's, like, a whole, like, subgenre of music that comes out of, like, you know, South Africa that's kind of, you know, has some similarities to it in the way that they rap and do things like that, but they made it big, but I still think that they have a very unique sound to them. The the, uh, artistic uh, avenue that they uh, take with their their imagery, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's like they're visuals are really good oh yeah like yeah. Their, their videos are really good like there's I, I, I like a, I like it whenever um, I guess it's linked to delayed gratification but it's like a, a, like a bigger idea or a bigger project to me I like that more than the um, the spur of the moment stuff mm-hmm. now, now like the spur of the moment stuff is still beautiful in mm-hmm. its own right but it's just like me personally uh, I like more of the um, I guess methodical sort of approach mm-hmm. with it with that, and whenever you have a budget like Diane Ward has, mm-hmm. like good God, like you can, you can not only plan for uh, bigger projects, mm-hmm. but you can create microcosms of them. So the big project is now just oh, we just made a YouTube video, yeah, because you have fifty thousand dollars like sitting around yeah, that you can yeah. just uh, use really quickly. <laughs> must be nice. Must be. Um, <laughs> but like now, it's like I mean, even they like that was like ten years ago. So I mean, like. Yeah. Like now... Which is crazy because it just doesn't feel like it was that long ago. Yeah. But, but now in like 2020, like, like, not only is the world going to change, but I mean like, like a lot of my friends that were like musicians, engineers, that like people that toured or were in the show production, like, like their living's just like, not only is it on hold for 2020, it looks like it's going to like change that industry forever. Right? Oh, for sure. It definitely is. So, I mean, music, as far as it's cultural influence is not going to be as widespread like it was in the 20th century I, uh, as far as uh, direct contact so concerts right yeah so I think we've um, we've 
kind of been living in a nostalgia of the 20th century. But so much of popular music ceased to be like an art and just more felt feels more like a product that's being sold to you anyway, you know? So, Which it is. I mean, it's always kind of been that way in, in like at least the late 20th century, but... Well, well since, since all, all of recording, uh, uh, rec uh, recorded music has, mm -hmm. like it, it's always been designed to be marketable. Now, there are things that go into public domain, right? So, I mean, you can find Thomas Edison's early... Uh, uh, gramophone tests of him reciting Mary Had a Little Lamb and you'll have to pay for it. But I'm saying for like the broad scope of it, all of recorded music, like has uh, there's always been a way to for an artist to make money off of it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's changed so much now to where like that doesn't have to be the goal of you making your music, but it's still been like that is what it, it originated from. I mean, my thing though is just market. like where they moved it from where the artist, you know, where it's, there's more art being performed or at least it looks like that from the outside from the producer than the actual artist, you know, because the artist is more or less just another sound that goes on the track for them, like that voice or, you know, that talent or what have you. Right. And then they just take that and they incorporate it into everything else they're producing and then they just put it there and that's why some of these artists like, they suck like mumble rappers. They suck. <laughs> Some of it I like. I mean, I like it. There's things that I mean. I, I, I'm always going to be a slave to the drum. I right. mean, like somebody starts beating, I'm going to nod my head to it. But it doesn't mean that that person has any like true skill or there's any like real pervasive message in what they're trying to say. You know. True. And with especially in the times that we exist now, there's so much that could be incorporated into music to reach people and change minds. But, you know, the last song that I remember being a catchy tune was Baby Shark Doo-Doo-Doo-Doo-Doo. So, I mean, maybe I'm missing something. Now that song's cute. <laughs> I, I think... Um, I mean, can you name one popular song? That's bro, like, bro right I haven't now? been able to name one popular I mean, anything I mean, in I know like 15 we're, I know, years. I know we're old, but <laughs> I even asked a kid this the other day, and they were just like... Um, there's some band that people like, but I mean, dude, in 1996, I was getting it when I was getting really into music, and uh, that's when I first got a guitar. I was into music that started happening in 1991 and 1992, so I already started five years behind the curve with like everything, <laughs> and like I've I've never like like even uh, like younger like high school bands and whatnot like like. Like we weren't doing like uh, uh, emo music or uh, boy band with breakdown music mm -hmm. or anything like that. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, I miss the days of band. So I like I like live music. One thing I what brings me joy with performing is uh, improvisational stuff. Mm -hmm. Like like I like that. Like where I can just be like, hey man, you you, you guys play whatever. Like and I'm just I'm just gonna sit over here. I'm gonna play along with it or like um, I've done this before uh, with uh, uh, my buddy Samson where we're just uh, uh, hanging out and uh, they're playing music and I just take out my guitar and I play along with the music mm -hmm. and like <laughs> initially he like was he was being respectful but he was turning down the music so I could play I'm like oh no dude like no don't give me the attention turn that shit back <laughs> up like like I like I'm good you just I'm good you want to be in the flow of the music yeah man well I mean shit dude I've been playing shit, 
guitar now for 24 years. Yeah, Self-taught. Bonkers. <laughs> you're, you're messing with it, bro. Stop messing with that. Don't fuck with the shit, bonkers. Um, but yeah, so like, like I, I find joy in that. Like, I don't, I don't really, I don't find joy in like, like performing like my own stuff, like, like me and my guitar and like singing. Like, I like, I mean, it's cool, it's whatever. But like, I, I don't, I don't enjoy it. I would like, I like, I've, I've gigged before. Like, I spent like a lot of my twenties gigging, and mm-hmm. like, I, I don't like it, man. Like, it's like now, like, bro, I got, I got, a, I got a corporate job. You know, I'm. A, 36 years old mm-hmm. I'm happy to have my corporate job and like I like podcasting I like making music like for myself that I can add in my uh, my chronology of my life yeah. you know what I mean like, oh yeah yeah that's that's what drives me with it um, it goes back earlier when we were talking about with uh, purposeless mm-hmm. or pur- purposelessness nihilism right <laughs> um, so the idea of uh if you find yourself with your life without meaning, without purpose, you got to create one yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, the universe doesn't owe me shit. It doesn't owe anybody shit. you you got to make your own happiness because life by default is struggle. And that's just default setting. It can get a lot worse, but that's like bare minimum oh, like yeah. struggle. So whenever happiness, the opportunity for it, presents itself in life, Carpe diem, carpe noctum, take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. You have to choose to be happy whenever it's readily available because it's not always going to be readily available oh, for you no, to be happy. No. So same thing with purpose, right? If you don't have purpose, like you got to give yourself some purpose. Maybe that's working on building a better relationship with your with your loved one, your partner, your spouse, whatever. Maybe uh, that's uh, financially motivating yourself to be like, I want to build an empire to leave my lineage. Maybe it's... Uh, 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 doing something with a hobby with bigger projects like you know painting uh, figurines or like then moving into building your own figurines you know, something you can improve upon though oh yeah because everybody wants to leave something to be remembered by you know? totally it's our ego so, <laughs> and that well for some people like they what they do is like they consider that they're building on a foundation you know for an afterlife too you know so, I mean, some people are kind because they're, you know, just trying to make sure that they get into heaven and, you know, don't go to hell. But what are they doing with that kindness, though? Like, that's, you know, because I'm, like, I, I do not, for the record, I do not like uh, religious institutions because I, I, I'm not an ideologue. And, like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't, I believe in God. I believe that, like, in the whole idea of humbling thyself before God is a good uh, it's a good concept to have, you know. Again, Pasquale's dilemma, right? But, why? but at the same time, the church is an institution of man, mm. and I like I I don't I don't dig it. I don't I, I don't dig it at all. You should not want to be a good person only in action in order to just appease the bare minimum, right? Mm. So, like, I mean, think about it. Uh, the uh, the one uh, parable I remember that stuck with me was about a uh, father gave uh, uh, coins or gold to two sons and one of them buried it oh. so it would be kept safe and the other one that was the servants this was it the servants yeah, those three servants yeah okay so but uh, at the uh, at the end the one who uh, buried their coins was uh, uh, chastised mm-hmm. for uh, taking no risk mm-hmm. and uh, doing nothing with essentially an opportunity or talents or mm-hmm. gifts, whatever it may be. 
and that always stuck with me. Mm-hmm. It was like, hey, not everybody thinks like me. Yeah. And I don't think like everybody, and everybody is blessed and cursed in different tosses mm-hmm. of the dice. So do something with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, because this is not a, a dress rehearsal. You know, like, <laughs> no sequel. Yeah. <laughs> no proven sequel. Well, no proven sequel. And well, that's why I always, like, for me, I've always felt it's like, a, it's like a fairly safe assumption to just, you know, proceed like there's there's not a sequel and to live my life as fully and as, as best I can, you know. Um, because I, I, I hope there is. I sincerely hope there is. That would be so nice, you know, if I could transition into something else. But I think you just need, now in your middle age, you just need one good healthy dose of psilocybin mushrooms and just sit in the dark by yourself with your thoughts. Or maybe, maybe you know, outside, you know, in the, uh, in the wilderness camp. But camping. even still, all the things that occur, like, you know, with cybacillin and all like that, it all occurs within that organic matter that sits inside your skull. And, you know, the, a delusion generator that we, that we call a brain. And True, but... It how allows- much can you trust it at any given moment? Well, here's, here's um, that's a good question. Here, here's how I'll counter that. So the, the process that it does, um, yeah, it's, it's something that's readily available in nature, right? So mm-hmm. that means it's not only is it uh, readily available in the program, but it's uh, potentially bountiful and mm-hmm. endless as well, right? The, the fungus. <laughs> so while what you're talking about, yeah, it's, it's just part of this process that goes on in our brain. There's nothing necessarily cosmic about that. It's natural, mm-hmm. right? It allows us by widening the bandwidth of our perception in order to perceive more reality that Mm -hmm. is omnipresent. It's always going on around us. Oh, trust me. I I sat on LSD thinking I was God a couple of times. (laughs) Because I closed my eyes and those geometric shapes just appeared out of nowhere. And I was like, I am God. (laughs) LSD, I've never never seen forms and figures, entities Mm. come through. Mushrooms... Uh, DMT, I, like there's been things, like like things that like they're they're like me and they're not like me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like I remember being on mushroom trips before, and like a face will appear out of the void, for lack of a better term, and like it is there and it recognizes me and it is giving me a message, mm-hmm. and like I'm able to receive this message, and it, it's weird that it's again it's something that's always here like it's going on right now in this room Mm -hmm. like all around us and so for for lack of a better term of what i can call this it's a representation of god right Mm -hmm. so these could potentially be demigods so we ourselves Mm -hmm. um i think uh some schools of satanism tie in with this uh we are we're mortal gods right Mm -hmm. so we um we're, we're kind of stuck in this, in this uh, inertial plane to where positive and negative are equally distributed. So I would think that we would have to... A so, lot. So you're saying that we're like demigods in our existence on this plane of existence more as like a school of organics, I guess? Like... Of, where of, we, organic, is, of organic biological programs. Yeah, so this is yeah. where we come here to experience that this you know level of existence. I think it could be multifaceted, but that would be one facet of it. Yes, mm-hmm. um, I think that that notion also ties in with archaic religions, and you know I find the old world stuff you know, truly fascinating. Oh, yeah. um, but with um, reincarnation, and that you have to um, 
That's what I'm hoping for, man. You, you have to you have to earn your way out. You choose you either choose to come back here, mm -hmm. or you are damned to come back to come back here to get yourself out, or you're at a lower vibrational point, and now you're back here at neutral. Yeah. So now, if you do nothing, then I believe you will be recycled back. And no, that sounds great. I've personally, I've. Uh, that's the school of thought I've always wanted. I've always been the most enamored by is that where you just there isn't a heaven. You just get to come back and experience life through so many different you know things. Because we like you was talking about earlier, like you know, with being humble to God. It, there's one thing that's never set well with me is what I was told is that one day I would die, and that I would go to heaven, and then I would get to spend eternity worshiping God, and. I don't know who that sounds more lame for, for me or for God. Because, for God, I, yeah, I, I mean, I just, I just sit there and I imagine God and I'm just, or imagine anybody. I mean, like, well, let's say, let's say we're going to put you on a stage and we are going to clap about how awesome you are. Like, how fucking long would it take before you got tired of that clapping and people saying, you're so fucking awesome, Colt. Less than ten seconds. Yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> but, no, but realistically, even if you, even if you, even if you can measure that into, or like you know, extrapolate that out into a couple of years, well, I mean, we're, we're talking about a God, you know, and, and or in, at least in the Christian sense, an omnipotent God that is constantly being worshipped by people on this planet. Like, there's at least, as we speak, at probably a cool billion people right now praying to Him in some form or fashion, and according to them. He hears all of them all at once. Not to mention, you know, the whatever umpteen billion people that he's got in heaven who are in this heavenly choir. And they're all just cheering him on, too. And he's just sitting there thinking, yes, I love this. I've been doing this for billions of years. It's awesome. It's like I almost guarantee you that God probably finds rocks more interesting than he does people. <laughs> because a rock you could watch from his perspective over the timeline of a billion years and he can mm. watch the the he can see it at you know like the subatomic level pop of our yeah existence. and our existence is plop like he doesn't give a shit about you praying for that new car he doesn't care i'm telling you he's off on some other shit that's way more interesting than you but you know that's just me <laughs> i would i would argue that um the the uh the prime creator right the uh, the monad the one entity like mm -hmm. Everything it came from. Yeah, I believe the, uh, was it the deists that uh, postulate that uh, it would have been, all right, I've set it in motion, created it. Y'all are on your own. Well, that's what I've always thought, too, because, like, you, I mean, but, but to, how much to, to, hold, on, hold on, to your point, though, uh, I, I agree with you as far as, like, the omni-worship aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Think about it. The, would, does does God really want you to spend all your time here on earth doing nothing but groveling and worshiping? No. That's not going to get anything done. It's not going to make the world a better place. Yeah. You're not going to uh, uh, be uh, uh, prosperous and live a long time. You're, you know what I mean? Like, you're not... You, you, you're not going to elevate your etheric body. You're just going to be like, okay, well... Gerald, just get back in there. Try again, man. Do something. Yeah. It's like you're right, Lord. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw myself at your mercy again. Like that's um, <laughs> like the the Calvinists' argument, where mm. it's just like, oh no, there is no choice. Everything's been uh, predetermined. Yeah. It's like including the sentence you just said. Well, that's that's the that's the argument of like free will is just like how can God be omnipotent and have free will at the same time if He already knows everything in the Omniscient. future? Yeah, and His in in perfect detail. 
And if God doesn't have free will, then it's impossible for you to have free will because everything that you're going to do has been, you know, predetermined. Right. But God could easily, the argument there is that, you know, God could elect to just not see the future if he wanted to. But if he ever saw it even once, wouldn't he know it forever? Well, I think it's it's the idea of a hierarchy again, right? Like, so if it's the idea of this monad, I think uh, in a certain uh, sects of uh, Hindu, and I, I, I don't know jack shit about Hinduism, just to mm. clarify. But the uh, the supreme personality is this four-faced entity that represents the four personality types, right? So I would imagine then, from that, you would go back to these demigods. It's like, well, yeah, the guy who made the whole thing doesn't have time to run all this shit. So you have all of these lesser gods. So you would have, from that monad, you would have a two, right? And then... Well, that's like the Romans. Like, I mean, at least the like the Roman gods. Like, they they made no pretense of knowing everything that was going on. No, like, it was they, a, it was zodiacal. Yeah, it was like it was like days of our lives. It was a hot damn mess. <laughs> like these people, like they were warring with each other. You know, Zeus didn't see this coming. You know, like so. <laughs> there wasn't anything there. But the thing is, is like it, it's just frustrating that people think that they they put this persona on God this being that's existed you know since the beginning of time and how I'm more capable of emotional growth within you know my such and such years on earth and he still gets pissed off if he catches you masturbating <laughs> like he doesn't have a sense of humor you well, know I was going to save your granddad <laughs> when I saw you were beating your dick last night yeah, I mean, spilled the seed. I told you not to spill a drop of it. I'm convinced that he has to have a wonderful sense of humor, like an absolutely wonderful sense of humor. Oh, absolutely. And at the same time, there'll be a part of it that's just a grizzly bear, yeah. like unforgiving, does not care at the at the slightest. Or, or after an, an, an you know an existence as long as his, he could be just slap fucking crazy. <laughs> I mean, you, I don't think you could discount that. Um, I think. Do you think? I know it's not impossible for you or I, but do you think that a lot of folks can't get past the notion of where they've uh, anthropomorphized, say, um, the the idea of of Jesus or God or uh, Allah um, to human characteristics when, like, ancient ancient religion was about the heavens, you know, and the sun worship was... uh, uh, almost a universal practice of it because... Everything was better with the sun. Like, everything was better. So you still had the gods above and the wandering stars, the, you know, the, uh, the calendars. Uh, the seven-day week calendar was an homage to the seven wandering stars. Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, we call them planets. I don't think they're planets, but, like, they're, they're gas giants. But, anywho, like, this notion of, like, uh, of, of Jesus combines archetypes of Julius Caesar in with these cosmic... Uh, alignments, uh, kind of like astrotheology talks mm-hmm. about, where Jesus is the Son of God, but the literal Son, our Son. And in order to transcend, you have to vibrate in harmonious fashion your magnetic ethereal body mm. with the Son, so it will allow you to go through. The lower vibrational one, wormhole, I guess, would be the moon that you would traverse through. And it, it ties in with um, you know, the yin and yang uh, uh, concept of this dichotomy as well as a way to get out of the matrix. 
Well, Cole, you, they didn't talk about that in Sunday school, so I the, can't really. <laughs> but, I mean, if you think about it, because that's even like hardline atheists, they'll attack the historical accuracy slash inaccuracy of Jesus of Nazareth, right? And start to poke holes in it. Well, that, it's easy, that, it's easy to poke holes at the at the Bible and how the Bible like came to be formed and, and you know, like the, the Council of Nicaea and you know the the arguments that took place in order for what we know as you know the new testament to to be what it is now the torah is that's a little bit different because that's a a bit older but even then that relied mostly um you know on people just memorizing and repeating it which but of course you know that was much different back then because people like that's how they moved information was by memorizing Mm -hmm. you know what they heard and you know replaying it back to somebody else well even the the torah if i'm not mistaken it still took uh not not to be disrespectful to any old world uh, uh individuals but uh the uh, mythologies of three different religions like zoastrism zoastra um the one of them was tied with l uh the god l mm. um but there were there were two there were two others but that was the first uh the this ancient group of Israelites, that was like the first attempt to move towards monotheism, was mm-hmm. taking these three and associating them as uh, oneness. Mm-hmm. So a, a trinity, if you will. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but, uh, but yeah, there, there's still, um, point being, there's still authority that dictated what was uh, quote-unquote godly and what was... Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, a conspiracy. Yeah, it was, right? it was the Roman Empire, and I mean, like, there was lots of things that were just, you know, blatantly left out. You know, they had, you know, all of these groups, literally thousands of people from all across what was considered, you know, the, the Christendom, and you know, they come and they have this thing, and some of it was just completely thrown out. You know, like whole books and stuff like that. We're talking, <laughs> we're not talking like five or six. We're talking like hundreds and thousands. Yeah, the uh, Apophrica. Yeah. Or Apophrica, however you pronounce it. Uh, but uh, like the Book of Enoch. Like, mm-hmm. the Book of Enoch is like some Tolkien wild shit. Mm-hmm. And the Vatican tossed it out, along with, uh, I think, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel yeah. of Thomas. And the Apocalypse of Peter, which actually was going to be the last book of the Bible instead of Revelations. But one of the things that they found so trying about that is that, basically, that when people died who went to hell, that the saints in heaven would pray and pray and pray because these are their loved ones and stuff like that are in hell. And they wanted them out because they obviously didn't want them to suffer anymore. So they would pray for them. And then God would eventually open the gates of hell and allow all of the sinners into heaven. And you don't have nearly as much room for control over a populace whenever, you know, there's, you might go to hell, but you'll get out eventually. Yeah. It's, well, if it's um, not necessarily decided, but a potential a swing a swing state is in the transcendent realm yeah you know what yeah. i mean so so that but i mean that ties in with old world uh like particularly uh, old american religion like shamanism mm-hmm. so like with with me you know like i'm sure it causes no shock to you but uh like i've uh, tied that into um having a significant uh, religious impact on my life is the idea of I guess neo shamanism or uh, Christian shamanism, you know, whatever mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, where it uh, the idea of the Christ mind and elevating oneself and you know being not just kind but like 
want, wanting other people to benefit even if you cannot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A sacrifice mm-hmm. for, for somebody else's benefit, like benevolence. These are, these are charitable things. Mm-hmm. And tying that in with the idea of, uh, I've never done ayahuasca, but supposedly whenever you have a formidable trip of it, you're, whenever you blast off, again, a DMT or salvia or mm-hmm. uh, even uh, strong doses of psilocybin, um, you, you go uh, off into the stars, mm-hmm. like to the realm where your soul goes, like after your machine, your mm-hmm. body dies, and it goes to be judged. Mm-hmm. And like, I think it's interesting that the, the character of Jesus, I, I don't necessarily believe in the historical version of Jesus. So that makes me a heretic as far as Christian churches go by default. However, by humanities, like, like <laughs> the ideologues way of yeah. judging you. Yeah. Yeah. I've long since abandoned those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, like, uh, notions of like, uh, what psychedelics and even conspiracy theories have brought to me as an adult, plus, uh, almost, uh, drowning and have another, uh, you know, traumatic experiences, <laughs> um, is that like, uh, I, I believe it is real not Israel, the country. I believe that it, as in God, is real. It is, it is an actuality. And I do believe that there, there is more to our existence other than just this uh, biological thing that we're in. Notwithstanding, I do agree with you that our time is short here. There is no guarantee of any of this. Mm-hmm. It is my ego that is conjuring this up. Well, it's just you. But at the, at the same time, like, I've... I've you know, un- unpacked a lot of ideas, and I think from uh, s- softening or decalcifying my pineal gland over like uh, you know a decade plus has given me uh, insight. And like uh, most people that have psychedelic experiences, like they have a lot more insight usually than folks that have not. And that's not to say that they're right about this insight or that they uh, are somehow enlightened. Because, like, you can just be easily as fooled. Just be like, like I, I just saw pretty colors and geometric shapes. And yeah, I don't trust my mind at all. Like, I, <laughs> I totally believe that it's, it's, you know, I know that it wants to be comforted at all times. Like, it, it, it's constantly seeking comfort, you know. And speaking and speaking of comfort, uh, do you mind if pause real quick? I got to fucking pee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Hear that or you can keep talking to yourself. <laughs> Anybody want to hear a song? <laughs> Cool. Sorry about that. <laughs> Seeking comfort. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we know our mind, you know, I mean, what we was talking about earlier. Well, we we're, were talking about uh, God and psychedelia connecting and uh, also still being skeptical and saying that uh, you know, the mind seeks comfort. Well, my thing is, is, is I, you know, I can subscribe to just about any thought for a very limited time. I just... It just has never seemed to serve me well to hold on to anything as a as a solid, you know, belief structure. The only, and, thing, the only thing I know for sure is that one day I'm going to die. Yeah, and <laughs> well, my body is just, you know, it's just going to just there's going to be small fuck ups in my body that lead to big fuck ups in my body, and one of these days I'm going to be. I mean, it could of course happen just you know randomly. You know, a refrigerator could fall on me from the sky and I just die instantly and have no idea what happened. Or I'm gonna you know have a slow, long, painful 
you know, death where I have all the time in the world to prepare for this moment that I've known was coming my entire life that was keeping me awake in my 20s. But here I am in my 80s, thank God, you know. But that's why, you know, you should do your best to live a good life. Be an honest person. Do well to your neighbor. That's like you said, like I'm, I'm not like a, what I would call a... I don't necessarily believe in Jesus the person, but it's easy to believe in the teachings of Jesus, you know? Like, right. But, you know, it's the same with like so many other you know schools of thought and you know words of wisdom that you've heard you know over the years you know you can you can take the wisdom and knowledge from from that and apply it to your life and but if i if i don't say that you know i follow the religion exactly this way and i don't pray exactly this way and um, I don't masturbate that I'm, you know, guaranteed to make it to this better place. It's just, I don't know, it's just hard for me to, to subscribe to, to that. And I often wonder how people so wholeheartedly do, but I think for a lot of people it's easier just to be like, it's like a box that they check and they're just like, okay, I think this, I don't have to think about anything deeper pondering anymore because I've got it all sorted out and now on to working about on my relationship and you know making money and you know all this jazz so well it's uh you know you bring your worldview into question whenever you start asking bigger questions oh yeah people you know? don't like to have their be like we was talking about earlier like an uncomfortable mind is is not a pleasant experience um, rather it be that you're dealing with a, somebody who died in your family or heartbreak, but much you know less an existential crisis where you just don't know where to put your faith and existence in, you know, and that can be very troubling, you know, for some people. But you're gonna die one day anyway, so you might as well just get over that fear as early as you can. It's kind of like a, I don't know, I like. You know, whenever, whenever, uh, whenever I uh, have kids, I don't want to, uh, I'm going to have to indoctrinate them somehow, you know, in some, in some ways. But what, what I don't want to do is to in, put them into some sort of psychological circumstance to where nihilism or even blind uh, uh, ideological faith paints themselves into a corner to where they can't grow spiritually or to, work uh, uh, work their way through the world. I would hate to think that I would have to raise my children in the same manner that I was raised where it was fear-based propaganda that whereas like if you don't do this there's an eternity of this waiting for you. Like I want my children to choose to be good people you know, free of repercussions of yeah. something. Well, bad. because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And I, that's the thing, because I remember when I was a kid, like at our church, they would show us these videos about the rapture, and like, you know, if you don't accept Jesus, they're we're literally gonna chop your fucking head off with a guillotine. Now, let me tell you something, man. When my ten-year-old self saw that, and that movie stopped playing, and that preacher got up there and said, "All right." you guys want to make sure that you make it into heaven you'll come up to this altar and you'll accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior right now I was on that fucking altar so quick crying my eyes out 
please God, please save me. And I even remember for days and months after that, like it's all I thought about is just like, I would do something that I didn't think was good. And I was like, I've got to ask for forgiveness right now. And I can't even fathom living in that kind of fear now. And the fact that there's people who are my age and older who still live encapsulated in that type of fear that if they do anything slightly askew from the biblical teachings that they're going to suffer an eternity in hell. And this is just mind-blowing to me. It's like, how can you live like that? You have a totally different existence than I do. Well, you're you're living out of fear. Yeah. And like, like... Like that's that's not to sound like too bohemian or whatnot, but that's a low vibrational way to live. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> there's gonna be plenty of times for you to be scared shitless yeah. in life. And I don't think that that's how uh, cosmically um, <laughs> but you, you should operate. You know what I mean? Like same thing with like uh, the idea of like uh, worshiping all mm. the time. Or like that God would want, like heaven's like, oh, you go there and then everybody just worships God all the time. It's like, man, that, that doesn't seem logical. Don't you think there, there'd be like higher levels of more shit to do where it's like, okay, look, we've got some sort of purple sky above us. We don't know what the fuck is going on up there, but we can see earth and everything below us. Mm-hmm. And like, because earth is tied to the third dimension, right? So like there's there has to be higher dimensions. Mm-hmm. They've been able to theorize, what, 10 dimensions Mm -hmm. so i mean it would make more sense to me that like because we're limited uh three-dimensionally with uh this uh our bodies this Mm -hmm. biological machine that there's not going to be like this notion of like which church is correct and how to worship god the best if you're already on the positive spectrum of it that's also like the question is is like what is even good and evil like I mean, like right, it's Hitler, not, it's Hitler, not, Hitler for us, it's it's easy to, it's easy for us to say that he's evil, which I mean, in my opinion, he is. But this is just totally a, a free free style thought. But there, you know, we have good, we have evil, and how we see it, which is basically a reflection of how society benefits or doesn't benefit from it. You know, the same as like we're always looking, you know, for safety, shelter, and food. Like those are our biological needs, and whenever society is stable, then that is better for our those you know those needs that we have. You know, we can reproduce, we can have shelter, we can feed ourselves, and feel secure, and that's great. But you know, whenever you apply that to like a killer well, like playing you know with a with a seal before he eats it. Like, is, is it evil what he's doing? I mean, does he have any concept of good and evil? Does the frog that eats mosquitoes that fly by all day? I mean, of course, we know he's just feeding himself. So, I mean, it's within his nature. But a reflection of humanity seems to show that we also have a, a violent nature. And for us to say that it's good or bad, I mean, it makes sense because it affects how, you know, we are. But, like, for any being that's higher than us, like you say, a multidimensional being who doesn't have those... Well, we're multidimensional. Well, I'm just saying, but, but like, somebody who obviously, like, you know... Like something that doesn't... Yeah, it doesn't yeah. operate in the third we'll, dimension. We'll, we'll say God for all intents and purposes where he doesn't have the concerns of, you know, safety and reproduction. You know, the basic things that we have because, you know, he exists beyond all of that. Like, 
does he even care what good or bad is in comparison to what we need for ourselves? Hmm. Let me let me. That's a good. Uh, that's a good point. Let me ask you this. Okay, so this um, this notion of uh, we are uh, our own gods, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's this old, um, uh, uh, I guess you call it a religion, it ties in with like your chakra points, right? So you have seven of them in you, and that it ties in with a, an old uh, Hindu cosmology where there are these biospheres that are these planets that are, a, it's a flat mandala inside of this sphere that is aligned in a giant being. A giant god-like being, mm-hmm. and we're inside of it. Do you think that we are that own, like your own being, and like you're inside of your own Earth right now? Well, I mean, I mean, you could just is easy, I mean, I guess what you're saying is like, is your? I mean, my body is clearly a microcosm of all kinds of things of cells and. You know, and I'm sure you've seen the pictures where, like, they show you, like, galaxies and how, you know, it, you know, favors, you know, like, different anatomical parts of a human body or things of that nature. And, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, we could totally be part of it. And there was actually a, a book I read. It's um, by Scott Adams called God's Debris. And, like, I love that book. And basically, you, you got me onto that book. Yeah, and basically the, the theory of that book was is that you have this omnipotent God who knows everything that there is, except the Omniscient. only... Omnipotent is all-powerful. Yeah. And, um... Nerd, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> and, um... What's the one thing that a God that knows everything wouldn't know? And basically the premise was is that God wouldn't know what existed on the other side of him not existing. So him being, you know, this all-powerful being basically commits suicide. And that's like the moment of the Big Bang. And like we're just all scattered across the universe and everything that you know we see like as a human population like we're always about networking and putting things together and like we're growing you know more and more cohesive with the internet and all this stuff and like where if a you know somebody from a different um, let's say like planet was to view us in like a million years assuming we don't destroy ourselves would you not be able to tell that you know, the planet Earth was just one sentient being, you know, because we just were like brain cells building ourselves back together and we're God rebuilding himself. And which, I mean, I'm not so certain that I subscribe to that, that school of thought, but it's, I, it's a really interesting thought experiment, you know, so. Well, the, the, I like uh, the book itself. It kind of reminded me of uh, the prophet, uh, Khalil Gibran mm-hmm. talked about it, where it's, it's a, it's a short book. I think the prophet's a, a dude on a hill that is about to go on a journey. I could be wrong, but I think that's the idea of it. And it's just people are asking him questions and mm-hmm. all this. And in God's debris, it's a guy delivering a package. Yeah. And the guy uh, asks him to come inside, and it's this uh, older fellow sitting at a chair. And the guy is uh, all, all business as usual first, and then he uh, gradually uh, sits down yeah. and starts talking with him and whatnot. Uh, same guy who uh, Dilbert is yeah the right yeah makes the Dilbert com- comics but it, there's a lot of there's a lot of logical flaws in that book as you read it like I won't delve into it if anybody's listening and if you ever get a chance read God's Debris it's it's really really um, interesting it's insightful um, but uh, the the notion of God committing suicide in order to learn yeah. what is the only thing that could not be known and by that 
it's uh, God's debris. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, I mean, but, like, when you think about it, like, if there was, like, an omnipotent being, like, that might be the one thing that he doesn't know. And, you know, like, and he knew that he would, like, eventually rebuild himself, and then he would know what that absence of his existence was, you know, and we're all part of that putting him back together. But that doesn't really say much for an afterlife. It also, I don't know how that would tie in with if all this is already created, right? Mm. And then... If all this is already created and then God commits suicide and then thereby like what? Like is the world destroyed as well? Or is it just because God operates outside of time that if we're on a cellular level, God's debris, then would the world like are we just slowly dying or have we like recycled again? You know what I mean? Like it's that it could tie in with that notion of a if a world has some sort of quantum shadow and it switches from uh, one existence to another, like we're in a parallel universe. Oh, yeah, yeah well, like the multiverse theory and string theory and all that, how we're all interconnected and tied together, just, which is, there's some very interesting stuff there. Um, I've actually got a book I'd have to bring to you. I can't think of it off the top of my um, head because it has an extraordinarily boring title, but there's a couple of chapters in there. <laughs> it's really long. I can't even pronounce some of the words in it, but... It's actually kind of it's a it's above my um, collegiate level of uh, reading, but some of the stuff in there is a little bit more laid out in layman's terms, and I think you would enjoy it. Does it have pictures to go with the words? There are a couple of diagrams that helps me, and but some of them are like it's like there's a lot of math in it, and I was just when I picked up the book, I was just I was so arrogant, I was like I'm gonna read the shit out of this, and then you know. It, it was. It's a dense. It's a dense book. My uh, my buddy uh, Mike Price lent me a uh, a book about uh, uh, kind of decoding or unlocking the Mayan calendar. I was like, wow, this sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. I understand like five percent of what that book is talking about. Yeah. Like it's so over. My Sometimes that, that's good though because like you kind of you have to you just can't read the book through. You kind of have to read and then you're like, okay, I don't understand exactly what this concept is. And then I go and I read up on that concept and get a you know better understanding. But some of that stuff that especially when you start involving like um, a lot of math, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just some of the math is just beyond me. So. That's the stuff for physicists and things of that nature. But some 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 things like uh, arithmetic, so like arithmetic operations, like I I can latch on to that pretty easily. Like mm-hmm. I, I do well with numbers, but when you start talking about like ratios and like conversions and stuff like that, you do not want me being in charge of yeah. giving you the numbers. Yeah, I can work with the data, but like as far as like figuring the rest of that out, not nah, it, um, it. Yeah, my mental <laughs> gifts do not re- don't do not. Well, so, in the realm so of mathematical of, equations. So. I'm so out of practice with it, bro. It's um, you know, like I haven't like I had trig when I was 17. I did I did really well with mm-hmm. it. My grade didn't reflect it, but as far as like the concept of it, mm-hmm. like like I, I understood and like the um because it, it was tying in like philosophy with mathematics. I thought mm-hmm. that was really fascinating, you mm-hmm. know. And this was before I'd uh, ever had a philosophy class, but. Um, like I can't, I can't remember. Like I have no mental muscle memory of the mathematics. Yeah, that's some good alliteration. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> bravo, but, um, bravo! You want a bottle of water? No, I mean I'm straight. So you're wearing a, uh, you're wearing a, a NASA shirt. I, uh, 
You know, I did not even think about that what, when I put that on. What a what am I? Uh, That's what my fiance meant when she said you're wearing that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'll what, you. one one of my favorite experiences of us uh, going uh, out to uh, the nightlife uh, was God, it was probably like two or three years ago. No, we went not three years ago, but it was like two years ago we went out. And you were wearing your NASA shirt, and I was wearing my NASA Lies <laughs> shirt. And uh, I've actually seen a few of those shirts around. That's what's up. Good. <laughs> <laughs> what do you uh, What do you think about uh, the alien stuff that, uh, like, the Pentagon talking about uh, those UFO crafts, and that they're they're made of materials uh, uh, off world, not of not of this reality. I find that stuff really interesting. I. have to admit that I'm probably on board with I, I don't think most of the population could handle knowing that um, but if given the option I'd release the information despite my reservations but I don't know I think it's interesting of course it's one of those things that I'm sure you were like yeah look the government said that something wasn't around anymore and there it was well there you go <laughs> 2020 has been interesting um because, like, a lot of people, I think, finally have something clicked in them where the idea of, like, conspiracies, they realize that it's 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 multi-genred, right? So, like, notions of, like, Bigfoot, UFOs, aliens, these these are three types of conspiracies. But, I mean, so is, like, Flat Earth and Pedogate and 9-11 and, like, uh, 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 weather engineering. Like, like it's, it's multifaceted. So, like, with people that are already used to talking about... Um, uh, the the unknown and uh, skepticism or neo skepticism, uh, 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 e.g. yourself, <laughs> you know that um, it, it's not as much of a challenge as it is for other people, you know. Um, so, 2020 has kind of been interesting because I've had a, a fair amount of people. Some of them I would not have uh, suspected would uh, kind of wake up, and some of them just certain things they woke up to, and other things they'll still. Uh, <laughs> they'll ridicule me for but I mean you know in a playful manner but they're listening with other uh, stuff so like I like that but uh, long, long tangent but do you think it's um, it's more of a plausibility that these are from some sort of planet in outer space or galaxy or that these are things that are already here and like ties in with more with like the uh, hollow earth or inner earth theory or beings that like we they they've they've been here longer than we know, and that knowledge of them has been lost. I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't already people or things from somewhere else that have been here. Um, my first question is is why why stay? I mean, unless they they're just not capable of like truly interstellar travel you know like if it's something that took you know like they boarded their ship like a hundred years ago and it took them that long to get here which was more than a generation for their species or whatever then yeah they might not be they might not have been so inclined to you know go back to where they were from after they came here and maybe we were the first thing they came across I mean there's a ton of variables as to why um course you know I don't subscribe to the to the hollow earth theory um why is that because it just doesn't seem possible to me I 
was first exposed to this by this crazy old man when I lived on that island I told you about. And he used to walk around with a pitchfork. And of course, he was butt fucking crazy, like just off the rip in several different ways. And um, why does he have a pitch? I've been to that island. Why did he have a pitchfork? Well, strangely enough, like for fish, and st- I don't really know because, like, he, I don't, I guess he might have been fishing with it, but this was like, I just know I was on the middle of this pier at like midnight by myself. And, like, bear in mind, this is a very remote place where there's no other people around. There's no roads. And I'm, there's no bridges to get to yeah, the island. And, like, this guy comes walking down and he's super creepy and, like, he's got a pitchfork. And, um, either which way, scared shit. I mean, totally stupid story, but, um, <laughs> hollowed earth. Yeah, and I have his book somewhere. I just cannot find it because I want to give it to you so badly. But it's not even a book. It's like a it's like a folder of all these things, and it's like pictures where there's like these holes that go into the earth, and like these accounts from you know some people who say that there it's a hollow earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, per, per, personally, science. I haven't, just, I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe. Like, I think this is more plausible than people think it is. Um, I, I haven't been swayed on that whatsoever. All, all I've seen is uh, the realm of mythology and personal account with with Hollow Earth. So, but I've also all I've seen with alien stuff. Most of it's just been programming from uh, uh, Hollywood through you know oh, yeah, uh, what C- you, CIA what uh, budget uh, uh, money. Um, I, this whole notion of like uh, coming from the stars and other galaxies. I don't. I don't. I do not buy that. I think that these things are already here. I think that some of the idea of like UF, uh, was it USO or U, uh, uh, UWAP underwater aerial phenomena? Um, I I think that because we don't know squat about our own planet. Like we don't. We don't know shit about our own planet. We've only explored like something like a quarter of mm-hmm. like the entire planet. And even like on land, there's like in the Amazon, there's. Uh, an entire area the size of India that we haven't even explored yet. Yeah. So I mean, I, the, if you're the, right though, that's a lot. If like they do live amongst us, that's a, a scarier scenario than just visiting. <laughs> I think um, who was it? Um, it was in the 1940s. They found some uh, cast <coughs> or something in a, a riverbed in the Amazon. They opened it up, and it was. Uh, uh, you know, old old documents, not the Dead Sea Scrolls, but it was something else that uh, talked about uh, these uh, jinn or these demons, mm-hmm. these uh, archons, these, for lack of better terms, aliens that they can't do anything in our realm to uh, create something, right? Mm-hmm. They but they can distort and twist and manipulate what what's already here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if like some like ancient uh, pre uh, uh, Mediterranean civilization uh, cult, like before this uh, uh, this flood that would have happened wiped out uh, most of the Western world, if they tapped into something that had this sort of alien technology, right? And then once it's made, these aliens could uh, manipulate it. I have no data to back this up, but I think that the idea of whatever it may be of it already being here, yeah, it's a little more terrifying than coming from space. But I believe that it's more plausible than uh, them coming from outer space. Well, I mean, within the question is, is like, are, do they do they have good intentions for us or or bad intentions for us? So, 
and I think that's where you'll find like a lot of those schools of thought like differ. Right? I think most people err to the side that there's something bad, but it's just like, well, what are they waiting for? You know? So what? What if they? What if they can't? What if yeah. they can't take over anything directly? You know what I mean? So then like, their point is just to observe. Well, I guess the point it would be to unify all of humanity under something either either by force of a military or a, uh, a religion or something and then you can have control right because I think that's what an alien would want would be control I mean you just got to take away food and water and you'll get that <laughs> but then what if but not if they need people if they still need people and they still need resources I mean, it does beg the question, like, well, what what do they want? Maybe it's something like, like clearly, I can't comprehend it, yeah. you know. But I wonder if, like, it's something that, like, most people can't even comprehend. Yeah. Or maybe, like, nobody even really fucking knows. And it's just this phenomenon. Or maybe they're just voyeuristic. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe we were just, like, their television forum. But, I mean, that's why I say, like, there's just so many different variables that could exist with that it, that quite frankly just go beyond, you know, what we would, we would know. Because, like, as a private investigator... I believe literally none of what I hear and about half of what I see, you know, I'm even skeptical about the things that I see because sometimes just because you see something doesn't actually mean you're seeing it in the context that it deserves, you know? Yeah. So. Man, one of the wildest things I've seen out in the woods and I've, you know, I'm an indoor cat, so I haven't spent a lot of time out in the woods, but when I was younger, I was uh, at, a, at a fishing hole with uh, my brother and heard this uh, this rather large splash in the water. And I thought it was a gator, so you know, I'm reeling my stuff because I'm like, oh, I'm getting away from the fucking shoreline. The gator just jumped in the water. And then I see this thing walking across the water. It's like six feet above the water. And I'm like, oh my God, what the fuck is that? It's a fucking snake. Mm -hmm. It's a snake that rears itself up and it's moving like a giant S mm -hmm. and just like a... Undulating, I guess that's the verb, yeah. the gerund I'm looking for. But um, and it just starts propelling itself, and it's like six. I shit you not, six feet off the water, and like it's just it's going like parallel uh, uh, from me across the horizon, off further off uh, into the lake, into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my god, like, I've never seen something so horrifying and beautiful <laughs> at the same time. But like my brain couldn't process it at mm. first because I had never seen it. It was kind of like the first time I was little, I saw two adults making out like heavily. I was like, oh my God, but, like what are they doing? Oh, yeah. like, they're like sucking each other's face. No. It was like foreign to me. I couldn't process it. Yeah, I really struggled with the first time I had a French kiss a girl. I was like, spitting wall? <laughs> it's not mine? That's gross. My little mind exploded until I did it. And I was just like, oh, oh. Spit's not so bad. Game changer. <laughs> Sorry, I know that was completely off topic. But oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Spit. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. Do you th I think that if travel to space is possible, right, I think the idea of a, a stargate or folding time space is the logical way to do it, not a combustion engine. I don't think we can get past our atmosphere with a combustion engine. I don't oh, think yeah. it's possible. Oh yeah, no, I agree. Like, it, there's gonna be, I think in the future, some kind of breakthrough in our understanding of the quantum realm, and 
some way, somehow, like that's going to play into folding up space, you know, like in Dune. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that'll get us there. But I think I think we already have it. I th- I think the government, uh, some branch of it, that is uh, somewhere in that. Uh, not to undermine uh, the concept of the deep state, but somewhere in the deep military and intelligence complex where they have joint operations that are Mm -hmm. covert, I think that they have stumbled on this, and I think that they in part stumbled on it through research that was done through uh, the Nazi scientists. Oh, yeah, for sure. uh, Through, uh, and then Operation Paperclip, which, you know, then you have within a decade later, you have NASA and the CIA are brought up, and then like we become a real powerhouse because mm-hmm. we're uh, from what buddies of mine that are high up in the military have told me we're about ten years advanced militaristically and scientifically speaking past every other country that exists. Oh yeah, we ten definitely the top dogs. But sometimes I just wonder just hot how dogs what I, oh, top, top dogs. dogs. <laughs> but sometimes, and of course, this is just the, the skeptic in me speaking. Is like I I do actually tend to lean more towards that we just have things in our arsenal that's just completely beyond comprehension but at the same time I'm like well you know maybe we don't (laughs) Um, and we would just like to think we do of course we still might have a good stretch before we make those like real limits like is is anti-gravity devices at some point is like is that even a possibility Can, can mankind figure that out I don't think gravity is what we think it is but you know what I'm saying. Something I, I do, I do know what you're saying. I, I think that's those are the that's the right track as far as the progress of uh, true technology, right? Yeah. Um, and true transcendence as far as uh, living on Earth and what science can do. But I think that um, I, I think these uh, just the modern concept of like space travel, combustion, rocket goes up, meets with the ISS. Like the ISS can exist just by putting uh, some sort of uh, space station on balloons like a satellite. Like you can YouTube satellites on balloons and you can see where like they'll just send them up to a certain Mm -hmm. spot in the sky. And what I imagine is, uh, (laughs) uh, I'll I'll not be too controversial, our our moon's orbit around uh, around the earth (laughs) is that they can put it in that magnetic field in the ether with just balloons, right? And once it gets in there, it's whoop. Yeah. It's, it's going around the earth. Um, so I don't think that um, the com- uh, combust- uh, combustion is uh, the way to go. I think folding space-time is the important thing. Speaking of uh, moon's orbit, this was, I guess, maybe the past year or two. You see uh, where now scientists that are not, um, they're not heretics or anything, but they're starting to reach a mainstream consensus of the moon may actually be, uh, 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 quote-unquote, uh, shock to me, um, much closer and within Earth's atmosphere. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that. That, that you know, because the modern notion is that it's, uh, well, 732,000 miles away. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if, you, if you look at, um, no disrespect to your shirt, but if you look at uh, the <laughs> Apollo program and the mm. hoaxes that the Apollo program pulled off uh, for PR, like for control over information, right, Back in the day, it's Cold War. That's just how they operated. It makes a lot more sense to me that 
where they say now that we can't get past the Van Allen radiation belt. So if they are going to stick to the story that they landed on the moon during the Apollo program, then you would have to say that the moon is a lot closer to Earth and is a lot smaller and within our own atmosphere. Because if you use a globular or a, uh, in, an internal flat planed Earth, no matter which way you look at it, there has to be some sort of partition from the vacuum of space. That would be the Van Allen radiation belt or a firmament or whatever cosmology system you want to use, there's going to be that barrier there. So in order to get to the moon, the moon would have to be inside of that barrier. Well, it'd be a lot more convenient for um, setting up bases on there. I don't think we can. There's a um, there's an old NASA scientist before the uh, Apollo program. He was with uh, Mercury, if I'm not mistaken. He and his team uh, thought that the moon was a new type of plasmid body that uh, emitted its own light and that it... Um, you, it was not solidified. It looks solid, but it's, it's actually, it's not. It's a, it's a weird type of plasmid. Mm -hmm. And that what we see is the craters that are on it are, they're, they're not, uh, it's not like a, a topography that we understand or can understand. It's something new altogether. And that it was really exciting for them to be able to have such an uh, up-close and personal look about obtaining the knowledge of what the moon is made of. So uh, even the Russian uh, space program, they fired stuff at the moon, and like it rang hollow, mm -hmm. like it had like like oh, a, yeah, I've, yeah, I've actually heard like about that. Uh, uh, struts were in it, and like how the fuck does that happen if it's you know what I mean? So like I think that um, God bless God bless YouTube. A lot of people hate on it because like, oh, you, you learn stuff from YouTube. It's like, bro, I learned how to do projects around the house and on my car, like maintenance stuff from YouTube as well. Oh man, let me tell you, YouTube's been a lifesaver for me. I have fixed dryers, dishwashers, lawnmowers, because I, I could literally go to the exact type of product that I had to to the you know to the t it's the exact same thing and they're like yeah this is how you do this like there's some guy that's his channel he just records himself fixing everything yeah he, he <coughs> they're they're educators like they they can't get a, a work teaching right mm -hmm. and plus if you think about it you can reach a lot more people with the youtube channel than you can with a classroom a oh lot yeah more. oh yeah for sure especially over time and it doesn't matter how big your classroom is like, there's some folks that are on there with their YouTube channels where just after, like, 15 years of it, they now reach, like, over a million people. They're not celebrities, but on YouTube, like... But it's like, all a matter of, like, how you choose to use that technology. Like, you know, me and you see the Internet as this wonderful source that's of never-ending knowledge and enlightenment where you can constantly, you know, look and see things, whereas there's some people who, like just use it to watch fight videos all day every yeah. day or yeah which you know. I, I equate that to pornography because yeah. it like like honestly while it may not be uh, sexually gratifying for some people it, it numbs the brain yeah. you know what I mean it, it, it doesn't do anything but I also think that like with like both both of us are skeptics in our own right mm. you know what I mean and don't agree with each other. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we 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 agree. I'd say like at least twenty five percent of the time on like what we're talking about. But oh, I'd give us more than that. I mean, but just well in our basic life philosophies and stuff like that. It's just whenever you get into the details where we vary, and isn't that the way that it is with everyone? Well, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, it encourages a dialogue, right? It's the only way you can share ideas. 
Like, I don't want to be in a fucking echo chamber. How boring is that, man? Oh, yeah. It's definitely boring. I mean, I rebelled against the church already, and, like, I certainly rebelled against culture one, <laughs> once or twice, so... I love hearing people say things I don't agree with. I was, I don't, I'm like, I'm not an argumentative person, so I don't really care if you if you think the way that you do or you don't, as long as your beliefs don't intersect with the way I live my life, you know? And... Yeah, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Don't tell me what I can or cannot do. Now, unless your way of life happens to benefit me in some way, and I just hadn't thought about that shit, and then, then I see a benefit to it, then, fuck yeah, I'm all about that bitch. I, I think the most uh, prosperous philosophy and way to live your life is to uh, pursue happiness and encourage others to do the same and protect people from uh, anybody that tries to infringe on that right. Yeah. As long as you ain't trying to push me off my path of enlightenment, I'm not going to push you off yours. So when was it... Hang on. When was it that, uh, I guess, you first started uh, rebelling against religious institutions? Oh, I was about 16 years old. My parents bought a biblical encyclopedia. Um, up until then, I... Pretty much, so I took every single thing that I'd ever been told to heart. You know, um, you know everything that I took my parents' word on everything. You know, it was just like even this, Santa Claus. Well, no, I mean, I eventually came to terms with that wasn't real, but um, that didn't take long to figure out. But um, <laughs> they got me this encyclopedia, and so I was looking at it, and it was all this cool archaeological stuff. And at the time, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an archaeologist. I wanted to unearth the past, and. Um, I'm sitting there looking through the encyclopedia and I'm like, well, I wonder, you know, how the Bible got started. And like, when did the Bible come out? And so, of course, I go and um, I go to the very first book and it just starts about Adam and Eve and, you know, goes through Genesis and stuff like that. And I flip through and I was like, this is basically just a detailed version of what was happening at this point in time in the Bible. So there wasn't like, it wasn't giving me any kind of an origin story outside of the stories inside the book. When I wanted to know what the origin of the book was, right? So I went down to the library and told the librarian what I was trying to figure out, and she's like, "Why are you trying to figure that out?" I was like, "Cause I just want to know who wrote the Bible." She's like, "Well, God wrote the Bible." I was like, "Yeah, but like, when did it become the Bible? Like, when people could get their hands on it and like actually have it? Like, what's that story?" And um, she pointed me in the direction of some books, and they were not helpful in the least bit. And then I just kind of wandered around with it till I was probably, probably almost 18 years old. And then I was, like started reading. Um, I re this book is called Who Wrote the New Testament? And then it started talking about um, the Nicene Council and how like the New Testament came and the kind of people who wrote the New Testament and the time period after which the events in the Bible occurred that these were actually committed to, to writing and you know the whole argument that came to the canonization and I was just like wait a minute so I don't know what I was expecting but that just wasn't the answer that I was I was expecting like I was just like this really seems like people were just kind of like it out in a board meeting and all of this is what's considered canon and what we believe even though they dismissed this that and whatever and I'm just, just supposed to you know I'm already at the age where I'm just challenging authority you know anyway so I see this authoritative body who's like you know 
making this book that affects all of humanity and everybody I know and you know my world and how they choose to live their life and I'm just like hmm and so like once that happened I that's when you know the questions about God and his existence and his free will versus not having it and you know all these deeper thoughts you know started creeping in and then I started expanding you know from there into like eastern philosophies and you know the Islamic faith and you know things of that nature because you know for the longest like I just knew I knew what the Islam existed but I didn't nobody ever bothered to tell me that how interconnected it was with Christianity and Judaism you know mm-hmm. as far as I was concerned like Islam was as completely foreign and separate from Christianity in every single way and um that those people weren't for Christians and Jesus and they were very much against them and like you know of course at the time when I found out like how many times Jesus was mentioned in the Quran, I was just like what <laughs> what else are these people not telling me and like like I said I got really enraptured in Eastern philosophy for the longest and like those it, I guess it reminded me a lot of like the Psalms and the Proverbs of the Bible, which mm-hmm. has always been my favorite. You know, just it's the most, way, one of the most poetic uh, yeah. aspects of the and Bible. The, but there was just so much of that, and you know, like the Eastern philosophy that you know, I just was like, you know what? I think I think I'm just going to be like a Buddhist, and that was very appealing to me for a while. But even then, I you know, I was just like, oh, this is just another idea, you know, because I've always looked at it, you know, as you know, we're just a bunch of kids looking through a stained glass window at the same thing, and we all just see it just a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but none of us can tell each other exactly what we see, and you know, that's just how existence goes for everybody. And you know, for the longest, I was I was a fairly you know staunch atheist, and I was just like, there's nothing. I was just like, you people are just like deluding yourselves. And it's not to say that sometimes I still you know don't feel that way, but a lot of atheists like they hold their atheism as a religion of its own and they mock you with an arrogance that maybe uh, that they don't really deserve because they actually don't know so right. um so they even say that you know i felt like i was also making myself an ideologue by being an atheist and i just finally reached a point where i was like the only real like freedom that you can have from these ideas that will eventually like corrupt the way that you think is just to not have them at all and just exist on your own terms without you know the influence of them but well the I think uh, uh, I agree with you as far as the uh, notion of uh, atheism being a, uh, a it's a school of thought there's a almost a religious order to it, and there is undoubtedly an arrogance that comes to it. Um, the irony I find with a lot of the hardline atheists is that a lot of their arguments uh, that they say is science-based, one actually comes from theology, like most of it comes from Vatican-funded research, Vatican-funded data. That is what we would consider the Empire of Rome. Well, the Empire of Rome was defeated on a... Uh, 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 colonial level, mm-hmm. right? Like their their empire. Same thing happened with the British Empire with imperialism. The same thing that slowly has been happening with America's empire. We're going to start, no doubt, seeing a lot of uh, places uh, 
outside of our borders that we control. We're gonna start giving that up, I, I believe. Um, but uh, fuck, what were we just talking about? Lost my train of thought. But uh, well, just if you was raised in oh like, uh, uh, a- uh, atheism and uh, school school of thought, but uh, yeah, so um, like the idea of like like evolution and like uh, heliocentrism and all this, like these these comes from uh, the Romans. Like it comes from uh, what uh, the Romans have essentially moved into uh, for since like the days of like the Council of Nicene and uh, the uh, Jesuit army <laughs> being formed <laughs> was that they started uh, in the post-Renaissance controlling information. Like so they, uh, they developed chronology, right? And after they took Scaliger's work, Scaliger was not a Jesuit, but Scaliger was a very pro-Rome and pro-Venetian, uh, pro-Vatican uh, scholar who removed um, calendars, data, and critiques of astronomical uh, coincidences from his findings because he, quote-unquote, corrected them to be in line with Vatican scholars and Vatican predictions of uh, you know, the previous generations mm-hmm. before him. So then, I don't know if it was before or after he died, but the Jesuits and this, uh, this other guy who was very pro-Jesuit took his studies and they formulated our modern concept of history. And like Isaac Newton wrote about it like mm-hmm. shortly before he died about like, hey, like, it looks like that not only is the world a lot older than what we're being taught, but it looks like that some of these ancient cultures are not, like they didn't die off as old or as long ago as you all say. Mm-hmm. That like these are... Um, the argument of like uh, Egypt and the Sphinx and the Africans, like mm-hmm. that, that is multi generations that have used it. It was not just one uh, nation or one uh, empire that existed there, and okay. they they discarded all this stuff. And but atheists will still use their data in order to support like uh, uh, something like Big Bang cosmology, which is also Vatican funded uh, uh, data. So it's it's a way to control people with a school of thought. They just they got smart with it after they started losing control from within, right? Because the the Jesuits was an anti literacy movement. This was a huge divide in um, the Catholic Church as a response to Protestantism, which was already a way to break away yeah. from uh, the Vatican. So like the the Jesuit order like had a a lot of uh, uh, warring sectors in it throughout uh, generations. And so I think they became wise to it and they were like, hey, you know what? If we market theology correctly, we can also take control of atheism and influence it as well. And they have. Yeah, but I mean, there's it's just, with atheism, the only thing you could influence is people's thought because it's not any kind of a that's what it's all about. organization, though. I mean... Well, that's think about how progressive that is. I mean, you take the same thing, the notion with like uh, Antifa, like there's, it's not like you have Antifa Inc. or anything. You know what I mean? Like headquarters or like a leader. Yeah, that's it's still an, such a small percentage of a population compared to Christianity or Islam. For like, now, yeah. for now. But like again, you're talking about like this type of cartel, man. Like the Vatican. Oh, I have no, I, no doubt that atheism will eventually form itself into its own like form of religion. But I mean, it's it's, it's scientism. Yeah, well, is what, is what it'll is what well, it's what it is, but they don't want to call it scientism because scientism is not science. You know. Yeah, 
But that, like I said, like that's why I've always like strayed away from that label because it's just one of those other places where people can pigeonhole you into a into a, this is oh this is how you think. And you're this because, like, especially if you're talking to somebody who's like, you know, like a Southern Baptist Christian, and you explain that you say, "Yeah, I'm an atheist," like, they're never going to understand you. Like, it's like they can't fathom like where you're <laughs> at mentally. Like, it, they, like they just, they've never hit that, um, or they're not willing to accept that terror. Yeah, that level of like existential. And that's exactly terror. what it is. Is like it's it's. It is not a comforting place to go. No. Not when you first, not when you first get there. It's not a happy place. Like I was extremely, like emotionally distraught for a while, and like trying to come to terms with like if that's the reality, like the profound effect that that has on me and my life and my existence. And that's how you get, you know, nihilism. You know, but you got to grow from. But it. yeah, that's exactly right. You grow from it, but you know. I don't think everybody could do that or accept that, you know, because some people like they need their mind to be more comfortable than others. I think that's that's definitely a part of it. I think another part of it is that they want an external catalyst to take them there. Well, and they need answers. Whenever, whenever, they want answers. They need it. It keeps them calm and happy, knowing that there's somebody out there who knows all the answers. Which, like, God's debris. Like that was one of the things about the book is that. One of the reasons that when you read the book, it makes you feel so comfortable with these ideas is because it immediately starts off with an old man in a rocking chair who knows everything there is to know about everything and that you can trust what he says. So he's using that exact same like like way of control. It's an archetype. Yeah. Uh, father, father time, the white bearded yeah. man as the archetype of God. So, so you're primed to accept what he says is true. Right. You know, because of how you perceive him and who he is. Let so. me ask you this as a quick interjection. If he talked about hollow earth rather than the dude with the pitchfork, do you think it would have affected you any differently? No. <laughs> That's good. That's good. No. Because, again, I, I don't support it. I put that in the same realm as, you know, what if, what if dragons were real? I mean, there's a possibility that, like, because it's easy for a person to sit there and say, well, what do you think is a conspiracy blah 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 um and that you know the science feels right to me and then but when i say that i have to take stock of exactly what my amount of scientific knowledge is about that particular subject well like, what you what you can refer to as uh to support your argument right because I, yeah. I don't think i think it, it is a logical fallacy whenever it's uh, the argument of authority right because then you can take someone who Say somebody has uh, worked in any field, worked for like 30 years in a particular industry. Like that person, you would just, uh, uh, on average, we'll say to be an expert if you've worked 30 years in a particular industry to know what you're talking about. Let's say, however, you don't have a piece of paper from a collegiate source that says you are an expert, but somebody else does that has three months of experience working in that field. Whenever you have the argument of authority, it will give credence and it uh, to the person with the degree, regardless of the time spent, just on the logical uh, principle of it alone. So I, I think that, um, well, well, I get what you're saying. Like, I think that to use that as it is, um, you can paint yourself in a corner. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's just like, okay, well, I can say this, but like, 
you know, I have vague working knowledge from what I understand and what I've been taught that there's an, you know, a, an iron core, a liquid iron core in our planet and that we're a massive object that sits within um, bent space and we're rotating, is rotating, so like the pressures and temperatures, you know, wouldn't dictate that. But that's like such an elementary and vague understanding of it and how can I hear you tell me your version of it without giving you the benefit of the doubt that you also have a higher knowledge of these particular sciences. Now, for a multitude of reasons, I'm still inclined to think that the Earth isn't hollow. Um, but it's not to say that if enough evidence wasn't presented to me that I couldn't be flexible and change my mind. But at the same time, I would also be taking in a lot of other information that would work to counteract what you're trying to persuade me of. I'm not trying to persuade anything, <laughs> good sir. But no, I'm just saying like, that's a how experiment. I'm just I'm just telling you how like whenever like you tell me something like that, like it filters into my head. Right, right. right. And you know, it would be easy for me to just be like, "You fuck crazy." <laughs> but I don't know what the fuck you're talking about because that would jive with the you know the vast majority of the population and well, the way that well, they think. That's an opinion and not a critique. But, but exactly, and that would be a root of me. Um, B. It, it doesn't it doesn't serve a purpose because I can't actually present you with a sound enough argument to dispute what you're saying, even if I still choose to disagree. Right. So, and this is why we've still been friends all these years because we don't disagree with each other. I mean, we, even though we disagree, we still get along. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, it it is it is something that uh, like with me it depends on like what we're talking about. So mm -hmm. like. But if you tell me I'm wrong, I'm never going to tell you that I said I was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like I, I don't have a way to, to prove what I believe to other people. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. that's why it's a belief, right? So I think uh, in the same notion you talked about with um, how a lot of uh, uh, fundamentalist type people or uh, for our demographic, uh, hardcore uh, religious folk mm -hmm. aren't willing to come to terms with the dread of potential atheism. Yeah, it's the same way I've found myself with what going on five years now with conspiracies mm -hmm. and that crushing worldview of like, well, wait a second, I haven't I haven't actually thought about a lot of these things that I was taught, and what happens is. A lot of straw man arguments you see get will get thrown out in order to get you to pay attention to something else. But we're not talking about whatever they're talking about. You you have to focus on like what's going on, the argument. So one thing conspiracy theories do that I really love is that they take things that we are told is true, but yet they're still a theory. And there's a big difference between a concept of plausibility and possibility and probability and something being truthful and being true so a lot of these things that were talked uh, are uh, as kids that uh, as far as like they figured it out like um, like you know uh, heliocentrism like it's never been proven it's never been proven and we have a generation in just the 20th uh, a generation but just a century 
of generations that was taught this and it's it's a new idea it's a new religion mm-hmm. but we're not taught that it's a religion we're taught that it's science and it's really not science because we can't use the scientific method to argue it well i mean you can now i mean you know anybody that's ever watched a flat earth video on a YouTube or watched a debunking flat earth video on YouTube knows that like there is a discussion and that people can use the scientific method to still have this argument and like I like that because it's removed a monopoly of observations so it's the same thing with like uh, any any facet of it so pedogate stuff 9-11 aliens UFOs like you have the ability for us now to share ideas and question the narrative so it ties directly in with how I found the benefit of questioning uh, religious authority and questioning that narrative and allowing myself to accept the, uh, the fact that the argument for atheism has logic in it just as the argument for theism has logic in it and you have to accept those consequences and that fear. But see, I don't know that that's necessarily like a testament to information being held back from us as more as it is a critique of the education system, considering that only like the last, in the last 30 years, we do more than just the three R's, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. We just barely was able to educate, you know, our populace on a, on a grand scale as it is, you know, in the very recent times. So, I mean. I think, I think history is written by the victors. Oh, for sure. And I think that that has been one of the... Um, and by history, you know, social studies is usually this encapsulating thing that includes history, civics, and economics. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the bulk of it. But kids aren't taught history. You know, they're, it's part of the social sciences that they just sort of lump in there. Um, and I think that's where the education system failed the most. I never knew that the uh, the Vatican bankrolled the Nazis. That, oh, yeah, I like I wasn't taught that. I watched a show about that on uh, Netflix the other day. Yeah, um, and like you know, I went to Catholic school. What what made me? Well, they're always playing all the sides, aren't they? They they are exactly. <laughs> it's it's the Roman Empire. Yeah, they sh- they had to shift forms because again, they realized their survival for another thousand years, right? Is to is sort of escape this global conquest, and instead they focused on a banking cartel mm-hmm. as their conquest. Well, they they fucking won, you know. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, why wouldn't they though? I mean, there's always <laughs> going to like history was always going to have a bunch a group of winners yeah. who are always going to monopolize their power to their best advantage. I mean, so I, that's why I say sometimes with stuff like that, I don't know so much as a conspiracy, so much as just powerful people doing what they do without telling the rest of the world about it. I would, uh, I would respectfully argue that it is a conspiracy because you had people, literally groups, boards, conspire to remove this information from history books in the 20th century. Yeah, well, I mean, that would make that a conspiracy, but... It, that's just people trying to keep shit sealed up and on the down low, which is a conspiracy by definition. But, I mean, it's powerful people doing what powerful people are going to do. Yeah. If I was, best believe there'd be some shady-ass shit going on. But If you ruled the world, right, let's say... I'd rule with an your, iron fist. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first three things. You, you, you have control to decide three things right away because you, you control the world. What are those three things? 
You may not get a fourth thing. The three the three things may end at your peril. And all of our peril. So choose wisely. I don't know. I actually, like, I'd actually almost elect not to put this on uh, record because it, it's it's not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me sound like a horrible person. So Kill all the animals. Burn all the trees. Move everybody underground. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we're close to... I knock off a sizable portion of the population for sure. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can't get behind that logic at all. But um, it there there I mean there's people that have legit arguments for overpopulation. I disagree. Um, I think uh, I think we should have more people. Um, I think that um, I don't like them that much. I'm just trying to make a large <laughs> sanctuary for you know dogs. That's what I'm trying to do. I just want, you know, like, to take America and turn it into one big, giant dog, like, playground. Do you think, you know how they have a, I guess, a neurotechnology now to be able to allow people to communicate with one another even when they don't speak the same language? Are you talking about the Neuralink? That, and also, like, they'll even have inner ear uh, auditory translators that using a microphone that'll translate for you. Do you think that we'll be able to get that with some sort of uh, technology with... uh, Pets. I don't know, man. I sure hope so. And for the record, like, if they start putting those on people, like, I'm pretty quick to sign straight the fuck on up for that. For real? Yeah. Why not? Damn, man. What's the loss for me? I mean, possibly my life, but... Yeah. I That's mean, what? All right. <laughs> well, no, let's say, let's say the technology is there when I hit, like, my 80s or 90s. Like, why the fuck not? So, okay, so you're talking about, like, a almost to where your consciousness can be transferred. Even if it can't, even if it's just like an enhancement of it or whatever. I mean, okay, at this point, like, um, are they going to steal my privacy? Like, I'm an 80 year old man. Like, I don't give a shit. Now, if you're they can already steal my privacy. Yeah, I mean, we literally walk around with these tracking devices everywhere we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, And we have social media. We tell the world everything we're doing. That's not my only argument against the microchip theory, but that's a primary one. Is that like, hey, man, the as far as the notion of tracking us, like. Right now, they can they can track us pretty much all together. Now, until there's some sort of EMP blast where like we don't have this technology anymore, then that's something else that'll uh, come up. But um, I mean, I think the microchip stuff is fucking evil, and some people are doing it anyway. Well, my thing but is, is like, do the, I think things like that are healthy for society, or would I like to like see measures put in place to restrain it, hold it back? Um, in the time now, yes, but like if we get caught up in history and there's a time where they're like, we've got this technology and like people are doing it and like allows you to merge with machines or allows you to like have a, you know, virtual presence online and, you know, upload your consciousness to the web. And like I said, I'm like an 80 year old man. Like, fuck yeah, man. Like what, what an opportunity for exploration on a different level. And let's say that you do find some form of immortality online and it is your actual consciousness, like, what an awesome trip to be on. I don't know, man. It's, um... But that's making the assumption that there's, like, a, like some kind of soul or something on us that's tethered to an afterlife, and if that's what you're thinking that I'm interfering with. Here, here's my, um... It's my argument against clones, right? And I, I would think in some fashion, transferring to the web would be a, a clone just not in a biological sense, right? But let's say that it even is a biological sense. You have 
which I think I think they do. I think Hollywood, they're superstars with too much money that's invested in celebrities. Mm-hmm. I think the, the the president probably has like twenty or twenty five clones. There's probably yeah. probably twenty plus of the orange bastard like walking around <laughs> and uh, tweeting and whatnot. It's the only way he can get shit done. Um, but I would think that by doing so, your mind is is your consciousness in this aspect, right? So we have our mind, our body, but there's also my personal belief there's a trinity there is our soul there's our spirit mm-hmm. it's something that is that is tied to uh, something transcendent um, that, that separates us from the beasts right like a dog has a mind it has a body too but mm-hmm. I mean like we're, we're way different than a dog and we've domesticated them to have aspects of our personality reflect on their mind and on their body but I mean still we're, we, we are separate from the beasts in that aspect so I would I would think that a clone your, your your spirit wouldn't transfer. You'd only get two-thirds of yourself. So same thing with, like, uploading your consciousness. I think that would only be one-third of who you are. And I think that maybe it would. What if it did interfere with you, like, transcending? See, this is why, I, I honestly, I don't think... Well, A, I'm going to kind of backtrack what I was saying because I don't actually think it's possible to actually... It's kind of like, have you ever heard the argument about the people on Star Trek whenever they're teleported? that each time they get in that teleporter, they're actually committing suicide. Because there's a copy being made of them and then digitally transferred to the next place and then they are reconstituted. So it's not an actual, like, every molecule in your body is going to do what it does independently. Yeah, it turns into molecular obscurity that reforms. Yeah, exactly. And so if it's only a copy of it, then it can't be expected to behave in the same way that the original did. So how could it actually truly be you? It would just be a copy of you. Now, of course, I've heard people make the argument where there's a gradual integration of um, technology to where, like, eventually you start out with, I guess, the human mind, and slowly but surely it is integrated into a computer until it's nothing but that, and that's somehow in between, like, the consciousness is, you know, transferred over, and it's part of the, you know, technology. But I find that a, a, a bit more of a stretch for them to reach on a scientific basis anytime remotely soon. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think the disintegration theory would like hold up. I think some like Jeff Goldblum fly shit would happen where like when it reformed, <laughs> yeah. it would just be like it'd be one form, like and it would be mostly blue, and then like the one dude in the red suit, mm-hmm. you know, because Star Trek, you know. But my point is, is that like Captain Kirk if he had a soul in that copy of his body, like it would pass on each time he went back into the transporter because it's literally killing him and just making a, the exact copy from the exact second that it took the scan. Yeah, so he would be a ghost. Yeah. Right? But he could haunt himself. Yeah, yeah, but... Hundreds of times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it doesn't It doesn't seem natural. Maybe that's a way to for them to, to escape reincarnation, right? So they can't they can't get through like the the wormhole, mm-hmm. right? But at the um, <laughs> at the same time, they don't want to be cycled back through because then they'll be in a new body, mm-hmm. no memory. They're going to be you know wiped clean and but come my right thing back. is like of course, and I'm not the the smartest person on quantum entanglement, but 
Uh, I'm not either. But that's I'm probably but I'm probably one rung below you, actually. But it's where you you like molest one object here, and then somewhere else they're they're entangled, and the exact same thing happens to them. So I would maybe assume that at some point that maybe the transporters use that, but <laughs> quantum entanglement instead of. Well, what's the uh, what's the expression? It feels like somebody just walked over your grave. Yeah. You know? So what if that is you like? And you're a cosmic string wherever you're connected to in a parallel reality. And like it just vibrates you into this reality. Well, yeah, because you just died in that one. Yeah, but then you would have still had to have got where you were going. Right. So you have all these copies, yeah. and whenever, like the one you're experiencing right now in this uh, realm of reality, like this is the one that is. Uh, I gotta shut this. Where the fuck's the rich one? <laughs> either uh, it's easy. Probably already dead, man. The first the first time I uh, I got like really 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 stoned, um, yeah, I was with a group of group of friends in a uh, in a uh, bathroom in a small apartment or a townhouse, and you know I'm just uh, there thinking to myself, you know I think I'm like 19 or 20 at the time, and I come to this you know deep introspective realization that. What if I have already died and the moment where you're shown your whole life flash before <laughs> your eyes is now and I'm being shown this like as a uh, goes back to that testament of uh, being uh, uh, judged you know what the ancient Amazonians and Americans believe whenever you die mm-hmm. that you know and you get a you get a glimpse into that world briefly so you can uh, make adjustments to it. Well, to your to your current existence or whatnot. I'm telling you, this this device right here. I've taken uh, two uh, vape pens. One is mixed berries. I would offer you some, except COVID. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, gotta gotta be safe. We're 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 socially distanced, six feet away <laughs> from each other, over a round table discussion. But mixed berries and cool mint. And I've taken a hair tie and fused them together next to each other. And, and you've had the cool mint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually lost mine on vacation the other day. I got to go get me another one. But I was actually going to try a different flavor. So The, uh, the mixed berries, it's, it's really good. Mm. Like, really, really good. Um, but at the, uh, at the same time, it doesn't, doesn't quite have the, the, the bark, the bite to it. Yeah. That, like, a menthol... Wood. Oh, you know nothing I mean? quite has the, the bite of a cigarette. Those beautiful, beautiful creatures that I haven't had in four months now, we're going to say. Yeah, I, I, I backslid uh, after, uh, after my grandma died, and, you know, I was, you know, eating fast food regularly, and then, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes, and then, but, uh, you know, you, you and I went out to the bar, and then <laughs> yeah. I, I hit you up, and I was like, uh, I was like, uh, man, I, I want to go, I want to go out, like, I want to get drunk. So I think three drinks. I was sloshed, and we, uh, you know, we we walked home. It wasn't a packed bar, you know, know what I mean. Um, but like, like, cause I don't, like, I don't like getting drunk. I got drunk at the last podcast, but I mean, it was special. <laughs> I fucking went on a rant about Marxism near the end, <laughs> arguing with nobody, nobody. <coughs> like my friends are just sitting there listening to me, but yeah, like I got, I got fucking hammered. I, I can't do it, but. Um, yeah, cigarettes, man. The hardest, hard, hardest next to speed, next to Adderall. It's the hardest drug that I've uh, ever had to give up is uh, tobacco. It's quite the addiction. 
It is. Like, there's because there's nothing like it. There's no substitute for a cigarette. I will say, though, I cleaned out my car the other day, and I found a pack of cigarettes that had one cigarette in it, and I smoked that motherfucker down. <laughs> um, because, again, like, it's... The problem with cigarettes is you can't buy just one. Yeah. You have to buy 20 of yeah. them. Yeah. You can't even buy a 10-pack, you know? No. Like, like... I think the argument they made was that, well, it's easier for kids to get hooked if you just buy a Lucy than it is if you buy 20 of them. No. It's like, what fucking logic? The people that made our drug laws, Billy, fucking suck. They oh, fucking yeah. suck. Damn. Do good. Debbie do-gooders. This is not doing good. Yeah, I mean, but... Things I have to say, like since the '90s, like the attitudes towards literally everything in general is vastly, vastly improved. And of course, we live in the you know the good old Bible Belt, so I have no doubt that we'll be among the last to um, <laughs> legalize. But there's always hope. I've uh, I've looked. I know we gotta we gotta wrap up here soon, but um, I'm I'm looking into. Uh, how legally we could um, use the Tenth Amendment about rights that are not given to the to citizens, to individuals, by the government are left up to the states or the people. And I think that if we can use that as a constitutional argument in the state of Georgia to look at getting a lot of folks released from prison mm-hmm. and getting uh, you know a lot of a lot of justice and a lot of reform back to and challenging what uh, the federal government has dictated for generations of people and it's ruined a lot of lives and it does it does not do good um, this uh, half our problems we can blame on the war of drugs really a um, lot of it we can um, way to go Reagan but I, I, I think that though as far as like how we've been approaching it I think that the Tenth Amendment, if we look into that and start approaching it from that angle, I think I think we can start seeing some real real change. Mm-hmm. Um, we we've already seen I have no idea why, but uh, the some of the Trump appointed uh, Supreme Court justices like uh, Gorsuch ruling on uh, trans rights mm-hmm. recently, like it was it was his proposal, um, and there was another one that came up that was like uh, quite progressive as well, and like he like voted on it. And like this is somebody that was a conservative appointed person, but he's a constitutionalist, oh, yeah. right? So I think if that's where the road is leading, which that's how it looks like it's going, is you're gonna have more and more like iron fisted ideologues in there, then we've got to play at their level and at their game. I think the Tenth Amendment, if we start looking at that as an argument against the war on drugs, I think we can start seeing some uh, some progress on it. Some something you and I can unpack later. You know, but uh, just to put out there for uh, any anybody that's listening, look into the Tenth Amendment and see if you see what I'm talking about. I think there's some logic that can be used there. Do you know your Constitution, sir? Uh, <laughs> I wrote down on paper. <laughs> but anywho, dude, thank you so much for doing this, man. Hey, man, it was an absolute pleasure. It's just fun hanging out, man. Fuck yeah, bro. Um, if um if ever it, it it does come to a point to where uh you uh you want to get involved with uh, promoting any uh 
anything that uh, you do with uh, your work on here or whatnot, uh, just let me know, and we'll we'll definitely uh, we'll give uh, your uh, your industry uh, a plug for something. Yeah, we always need people to um, spy on their spouses. You need, <laughs> you need creepy shit done. I'm your man. <laughs> it feels so weird to say that because like. You know, like a stalker always wants to get close to his prey. You know, like that's the whole point of what they're what they're doing. And me, I'm just like, I want to go home and like have a drink and get as far away from you. If you go to Dollar General one more time, I'm going to pull all my hair out. And it's just like you suck. You're a boring ass person. <laughs> so I'm like literally mad that I'm stalking people. I'm just like, this sucks. But it's a living. You know, I love my job. Hell yeah. Thank you so much, man. Hey, man. Not a problem. I appreciate you. BFFs. Later, y'all.